Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. This is episode 188. Uh, we're recording this on Sunday, August 28th, 2022, at about 4.50 p.m. Pacific time. I'm Terry. We've got Todd. We've got Zach. Todd, you were just telling me how you uh, how you cashed a big bet on the Tour Championship today. Yeah, I had two bets. I had Cam Smith to win at 25-1, to and I, I had Rory to win at 11-1, to which... I was telling Terry, I almost threw in the trash when he triple bogeyed the first hole on Thursday. I thought there was no chance in, that he'd come back, but he ended up winning the, the tournament by like six strokes if they weren't counting the, the starting strokes. So that was pretty yeah, nice. That, that, that opening drive out of bounds was pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. Zach? I have no I, idea what you're talking about. No, I know you don't. I know you don't. But, but can I tell you, there's two reasons I'm really excited. Todd knows one of them, which is that later this week, sports betting goes legal in the state of Kansas. Hey which there. I'm really excited for. And we can actually bet on uh, in-state college teams. So, fuck you, Washington State. And I can't uh, bet on college at all. Wow. Yeah. All collegiate betting is, is off-limits in Oregon. Well, it's going to be amazing out here at our four casinos in, in the entire state. And uh, I really look forward to all the guys in Hawaiian shirts at the sports book uh, when we play the Chargers uh, first home game of the season on a Thursday night. That's going to be amazing. I will report back to the podcast from that. The other thing that I wanted to mention, though, that I, I'm also just so pumped for and you guys must have seen it, but is the return of movie pass. Like, aren't you guys so stoked about that? Like, you know, I didn't I wasn't expecting it. But it's kind of like it's like a team that is trying to revamp or rebrand themselves by bringing back an irrelevant quarterback. Like, you know, like when uh, the Redskins or see, the Washington football team had Donovan McNabb as their quarterback. And they're like, yeah, that solves all our problems. Well, movie pass is back, bitches, 2.0. And if did you guys read that if you uh, if if you watch like five minutes of ads, but you actually have to watch them because they're going to track your eyes, then you get like an additional screening. So it's like it's like Minority Report, and <laughs> like John Anderton and Max von Sydow, they they knew in that movie that Movie Pass was the reason that eye tracking became popularized in the uh, society with the precogs. So my mind is just blowing this week. I I am on fumes. Just so much excitement. Uh, and you're talking about the what? The Players' Championship? Is that like darts or something? I don't even know what that is. The Tour Championship. The Tour like Championship. The $16 million first the prize. Tour Can we put that on, on our power rankings of the, of the lamest, uh, blandest names for sports events? The Tour Championship? I mean, that's definitely like the... Uh, yeah, you know, like the, the Super Bowl. Yeah, that's pretty lame, too. In the <laughs> finals, you could get a little more creative than that. I mean, yeah, there we can... The college football playoff. If we're, I mean, there, we, I think we just made the list. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, make sure you're subscribing and rating and reviewing our podcast wherever you can find it, which is pretty much everywhere you find podcasts. Uh, just like download all the apps, subscribe on all the apps, listen on all the apps. Because they're definitely going to want to download it after that rant. 
that yeah, yeah yeah well i know i know like todd goes back and and um just for kicks listens to old episodes and tells us that we were much better when we started than we are right now so we got that going for us you got that going for us yeah this guy, hey, which is done. nice. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah, that's the important part. Uh, Zach, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm drinking water because uh, one of us, I won't say who, wanted to start this podcast a little late. And uh, I have to be at school in like 12 hours. So well, I was at like, school a half hour ago. So that's true. I'm not going to pull a Cameron Diaz in that bad teacher movie. I'm going to try to do my best to actually start really strong, like apparently we did on the podcast, and then tank maybe in like four weeks or so. What's funny is you said that as if you were just like describing the movie and couldn't remember the title, but the title is Bad Teacher, so. That's, okay, well, yeah. Well done. You should have said not you're going to try to get smashed and like that Bad Teacher movie, and then you would have covered two of them. There we go. And have oh, another wow. round before the end of the podcast. Wow. Whoa. Todd's on another level. What are you drinking, Todd? Um, Whatever yeah. it is, it's inspired. It's rum. Rum and some juice. I think it's like guava nectar in there too. Oh, it's in the good. Breaking Bad glass. Which, which glass is this? What's the saying for this one? It says, I am the one who knocks with Heisenberg's beautiful head. Very nice. Very nice. Well, I've had a busy weekend. I didn't get to the brewery, but I have a fully stocked beer fridge sitting literally six inches from me right now. And so I just grabbed something out of there. And uh, nothing is more Portland than some good old Widmer Brothers brewing. And so uh, I've got um, now they have steered me wrong before because they are the ones that created Burr. However, this one's pretty good. If they're known for anything, they're known for their half of ice. And, and so this is their velvet summer apricot wheat. So it's nice and refreshing. And I, I'm going to I think I might be going to try and start this, too. I've got I've finally got a TV back up and running in the office and a Blu-ray player connected to it. And so I went to my my like database where I have uh, I have a spreadsheet where I have all the movies I own on DVD and Blu-ray and just ran, like did a random number generator, picked one to have as a as a little background behind me. And uh, Days and Confused got picked today. So there's Days and Confused. You can kind of see it. Which is riveting audio, I'm sure, of um, having a mute uh, movie playing behind me that you can only see if I move, but. It's what there. Would, what would be the regal line from that movie? Um, I don't. Ooh. I I think they would. They wouldn't. They would be too stupid to do all right, all right, all right. I think it has to be something like they would want to be clever with it. Like uh, you know, maybe maybe when uh, Roy. No, they say about says, those high school girls. No, they would. They wouldn't go there. <laughs> I don't think they would quote McConaughey. I don't yeah. think so either. I think they quote Rory Cochrane when he says, uh, well, it'd be cooler if you did. <laughs> it'd be a lot cooler. Yeah, that, that's that's that's, uh, McConaughey. that's still McConaughey. That's still worse. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. That, that'd no, probably be the it? quote, though. Okay. You'd be a lot cooler if you did. Yeah. That'd be the quote. You'd grab that popcorn next to Danny Trejo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see here. What have we been watching? We're going to start with Zach. Okay, well, I didn't really watch anything this week, but I do want to bring up a movie that I watched within the last month, so I think it qualifies. And it also qualifies because it stars the uh, leading actor of the movie that we are reviewing today, uh, Academy Award winner Tilda Swinton, not Kate Blanchett. And the movie is called Julia. It is not the uh, Academy Award winning Julia from 1977, or, nor is it Julia and Julia, 
or uh, Julie and Julia, excuse me, but uh, Julia from 2008, starring uh, Tilda Swinton. Uh, believe Julia it, starring uh, Annette Benning. That's true. Yeah, it's not that either. It it is not. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of like a mommy situation or, or mother situation going on. Yeah. Um, anyway, this Julia is about a woman named Julia who's played by Tilda Swinton, and uh, as the movie opens, she's have she's on an alcoholic bender. She works, I think, for a law firm, but I'm not entirely sure what she does except for just goes to parties and has one night stands. And uh, her friend at the law firm is played by Saul Rubinek, and he's sort of the one that. Um, it's, it, it seems like her part-time lover, part-time friend. Um, and, uh, they, uh, they have an interesting rapport at, she goes to an AA meeting and she meets, um, a, a woman who's, uh, in a pretty desperate situation. And, uh, this woman is, I believe played by, uh, Kate Del Castillo. And she talks about how her son, she's in a custody battle with her ex over her son. And so she's plotting this, um, scheme to kidnap her son in order to extort money from her ex-husband, will Julia, Tilda Swinton, help her? And Tilda Swinton agrees to help her, but it kind of has a scheme of her own. She wants to kidnap the kid from the mother uh, and extort the money for herself. And basically, it kind of turns into a Coen Brothers movie, um, as you can kind of tell maybe by the plot. Um, it's not like the craziest plot in the world. I mean, there's definitely some Elmore Leonard in the movie. There's like a little bit of a Tarantino wannabe. Um, the director is uh, uh, Eric Zonka, and he throws in some really kind of like on-brand late 2000s kind of flashy, uh, you know, transitions and stuff like that. This movie belongs to Tilda Swinton, though. This might be now my favorite Tilda Swinton performance in any movie. Um, it's a pretty little scene movie. I don't know how much of an impact it made. I know Ebert really loved it when it came out. He might have put it on his top 10 list, and I've always wanted to see it since then. But I kind of love this movie, too. It's a crazy movie. It's two and a half hours long, and you just kind of don't know where it's going. Um, kind of midway through the movie, they're it's, it's running away from the police, and they go into Mexico, and there's a whole component where they're hiding out in Tijuana. And then both uh, uh, Julia and this kid are kidnapped by uh, Mexican gangsters. Um, and then all the while, you know, Julia learns. I mean, it's it's a little bit almost like um, the the Jenna Rollins, John Cassavetes movie uh, that I'm now blanking on the title of, uh, where it's like, you know, she kind of learns to become a foster mother in a way. Um, it's really the influence. No, not a woman under the influence. It's the one oh, I'll have to look it up really fast. But um, they remade it, too, I believe. Um, uh, anyway, uh, it's a really good movie. I give it three and a half stars. And uh, I just think Tilda Swinton is is awesome. And we'll, we'll talk about her in, in her movie later. But I mean, she's the whole reason that, you know, she's like uh, Gloria, by the way, was the name of the uh, Cassavetes movie. Um, it, it's just an awesome movie. Uh, one of my favorite movies I watched this summer. And, you know, if you want to see the range of Tilda Swinton, you can check her out really in, in anything. But this is, I think, one of her lesser known movies. And it's one of her very best performances. Have either of you guys heard of that movie or seen it? I think I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, I remember it coming out. I never saw it, though. It right. is de it's definitely worth checking out. Cool. I also Good. watched the first episode. Oh, I'll, I'll just throw this real fast, too. I watched the first episode of the Manti Teo documentary. I haven't watched it yet. But did Ooh. you guys see that at all? No. Okay, it's it's a great first episode. I'm riveted. I want to see what happens next, but it's it's really well made, and I would recommend that to, to folks too. I'll, maybe I'll have a full report on it next week. All right, cool. All right, I'm gonna go next uh, for my Oscar anniversary watch this week. We're going back ten years, so 2012, and this is a sole makeup and hairstyling nomination. 
Snow White and the Huntsman. No. Uh, it, uh, let's see here. Let's see what else it, it was nominated with here. You know, every every Terry with the hairstyling and makeup nomination. No. That's a, a great drinking game. There were, on, there were only three nominees. Les Mis was the winner, and The Hobbit An Unexpected Journey was the other the other nominee. And the uh, the other one that was its sole nomination is Hitchcock. Oh, oh yeah. because Hitchcock, yeah. Yep. So Hitchcock, this movie was directed by Sasha Somebody's gotta make him bald. Gervaisi. Yeah. Uh, it, it was a pretty good, it was a pretty good makeup job. I don't know. It kind it wasn't, it wasn't. It felt like looking at Anthony Hopkins play Alfred Hitchcock kind of felt like looking at Nicole Kidman play Lucille Ball. It didn't quite look like Anthony Hopkins, but it didn't quite look like Alfred Hitchcock. And the fact that it was somewhere in between was distracting. Um, but uh, but yeah, it, it it's a decent movie, though. So Hitchcock is uh, the story of Alfred Hitchcock and his wife, Alma, as they uh, work together to make Psycho. And, and the best the best part of the movie is just listening to Anthony Hopkins as Alfred Hitchcock say the word psycho over and over and over again it, it's just it's a it's iconic uh it, it's a star-studded cast you've got helen mirren playing alma uh scarlett johansson plays janet lee uh also in it, jessica beale plays vera miles uh james darcy plays anthony perkins uh you also have uh, tony collette playing hitchcock's secretary danny houston plays another screenwriter michael stuhlbarg plays his uh his agent i believe um michael wincott from uh from uh nope he's in this uh he plays the actual guy that uh that psycho was based on and uh yeah ralph macchio's in it kurtwood smith from uh, that 70s show star-studded cast anyways uh it's a fascinating movie uh it, it's always i always like seeing these uh hollywood talk about hollywood and kind of how how something gets made and how something gets put together when it's talking about that and it's talking about how, how they put the movie together and how Psycho was made and, and the pieces to that, it's really cool. There's a lot of side plot that goes on, especially a potential like love triangle going on with Hitchcock, Alma, and Danny Houston's character, which is just weird and distracting and doesn't really work. Um, I, I'm giving it... I'm right on the edge of two and a half and three. I'm going to lean two and a half for now. Uh, but it's a movie I'd watch again. It's very entertaining if if you, if you guys haven't seen it. So, yeah, Hitchcock. Yeah, I remember liking that movie. I um, it's Sa- Sasha Gervasi was the director of Anvil, the story of Anvil, which was mm-hmm. his only movie. And this was his like first actual narrative feature. So I was like really anticipating this movie when it came out. And I, I remember liking it, but I haven't seen it or thought about it in 10 years. <laughs> Well, I, it was one of those where I, there's always one of those movies that when uh, like during the year you get that publicity photo and you're like, holy cow, look at how, the transformation, right? You, you had it was the Daniel Day Lewis as Lincoln picture. It was the the Rami Malek as as um, as Freddie Mercury picture the, when the first when they first come out. That's what it was when you saw Anthony Hopkins for the first time as Alfred Hitchcock. And so. Yeah, I just never got around to seeing it, so now I did. Or Dick, or uh, Christian Bale as Dick Cheney. That was another one. Yeah, absolutely. 
or and the the one now we're we're looking forward to is the uh the Bradley Cooper is Stephen Sondheim, or was it is it Sondheim or no, was yeah, it Leonard, Leonard Bernstein? Leonard Bernstein. That's that's it. Yeah, that that one's a creepy one too. Okay, that's Hitchcock. Zach, have you seen Hitchcock? I have not. Okay, it's worth a watch. I don't know. You'd probably hate it though. Well, hey, that that hasn't stopped me before. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Todd, what'd you watch? Uh, So I got a screener for a movie. It is called Breaking. Uh, It's directed by Abby Damaris Corbin. Uh, And it's just, I think it was actually released just this weekend. Uh, It's a true story of Brian Brown Easley, which is played by John Boyega, who's a former Marine. And he's having some financial issues after being reintegrated into society. And to get out of that and point the target at the VA, he decides he's going to rob a bank with a bomb. And uh, he appears sort of nice to the two hostages he has. They're bank employees played by Nicole Bahari, who was in um, Miss Juneteenth last year. And Salinas Leva, who, or Levaya, who was uh, Leva, Levaya, I don't know, Leva. one of those. Uh, is uh, she was from Orange is the New Black, and so it makes when the police sort of assault on the building a little uneasy because you actually kind of care about the hostages. But as you get more details about the story, you kind of realize it probably shouldn't actually be a movie. John Boyega, I don't think is a good actor at all. Like, other than Small Axe, he is always really over the top. Like, he thinks he's Denzel in Training Day or Forrest Whitaker in, like, whatever. But he's just yelling and tweaking the whole time. And um, that's like all he does. And so he's not, the movie kind of loses a little believability. It's more like John Q than it is like the negotiator. It's, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, But it's like, and the story is almost like plagiaristically. I'm not sure if that's a word, but I'm going to say it. Uh, The story of C-Note in Prison Break. Like it is like exactly the back, his backstory about how the military screwed him, his tone, his demeanor, like everything like his likability he's doing that like this is what this story is um michael kenneth williams plays uh, the hostage negotiator negotiator and he's like really he's he's really good and you can kind of he finds something you could he could relate to in brian and so he works with that he becomes sort of the emotional core of the movie which probably isn't a good thing because he's not the main character um i didn't like the music at all it was really loud and invasive um like, but to me, like a bad hostage negotiation movie, which this is, is still better than a lot of movies. It's it's like, I always say like bad tacos are still better than most food. Like I, I actually watched this like kind of lame uh, TV show called The Standoff, which was a movie or a TV show about like all about hostage negotiations. It had like Ron Livingston and Rosemary DeWitt and it came out in, like 2006. It was probably not a good show, but I watched it because I mean, I really like hostage negotiations. Uh, this this movie is it's a tragic story i just don't think they know how to tell it like they just throw a lot of hot button issues at the screen hoping something will stick but everything is just half-baked because the movie is kind of short it has like a pointed message this the point isn't very sharp like I'm, I'm giving it two stars wow okay so i saw this too and i wrote a review for it that's up on the up on the website now um and I had, I thought like almost the opposite in most of what you said. I loved it. I thought John Boyega gave one of the best performances of the year so far. Uh, and he, he does kind of portray a little Denzel in there, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Cause I think he can pull it off. Uh, I, I think he, he's magnetic in this. Um, you're, you're saying it plagiarizes a, a, a side plot in prison break. It's a true story. That we came out after prison break. It's a true story. I'm sure the movie is not, uh, 
Uh, yeah, I'm uh, sure exactly the real Brian Brown Easley walked into that bank with a bomb saying, I'm reenacting Prison Break when I do this. Come on, man. Why is this a that, movie? That's a that's a lame on, that's a man. lame thing. Why is it a movie? It's an important movie. I think this is this you're right. It has a lot of themes and it and I think the one thing I did say is I think the script could have driven home some of those themes a little better and a little sharper. Um because you're right, it's kind of all over the place. But at the same time, I kind of like that it touches on a lot of stuff without hitting you over the head with it. Like, can you imagine this this story in Spike Lee's hands? It would have been a mess. Uh, but I think I think some of the subtlety works, but at the same time, it could have used a little more focus. You're right there. But I think the performances by everybody in this movie, especially John Boyega and Michael Kenneth Williams, well, and Nicole Bahari and Selena Sleva are amazing as well. No, the performances that make this movie and uh it's it's a it's an amazing story that uh that I think needed to be told and it's got a powerful message to it that um that points some uh some really interesting uh fingers at some things that we don't necessarily think about unless we're uh given the opportunity to see something like this. I know, but going into this movie and when immediately you figure out what the idea is, you're like, okay, so I know exactly what's going to happen because there's, I mean, there's no suspense in what he's doing. Oh man. So I guess any hostage negotiation movie, we should just not make anymore because we know how every single one of them is going to end. You who says hostage movies are better than any other movie, but we know how all of them are going to end. No, until I'm giving it two stars. That's why I'm not giving like a bad rating because I, I mean, I, I don't think this is a good movie, but I still think it was entertaining enough because I like hostage, hostage movies. I gave it three and a half stars. Zach, you're going to have to see Breaking. I, I want to see it. At, at right now, I think Terry's making more compelling arguments. I, I, if I were to... Uh, I give the point to Terry. I'll be like a Tony Reale. The point to Terry. Well, I'm trying not to say anything about what actually happens because you haven't seen it. Because I, I, now I, the movie I do want to see is John Boyega or maybe Rinko Kikuchi holding up, doing a hostage situation after having seen Prison Break. That that's a movie that should be made, inspired by Prison Break. And this is not at all what happened to C Note. It's exactly C Note's story and what he goes through. In in the fact that that the military screwed him over and that's why he's in prison. That. The, the no. military screws him over. It's the exact same thing. There's so many different ways that can happen. Maybe it, every maybe maybe Marilyn Lovell thought her husband being stuck in outer space was a ripoff of that movie she saw the night before she uh, lost her ring or whatever. I'm just saying, I don't think this deserves to be a movie because like his whole like, his whole thing, the point of the movie is that he's robbing a bank to make a point. And so I mean, I don't think that that's a movie. <laughs> There's no movie in there. Well, it, it made a pretty entertaining and compelling movie. So, uh, still uh, giving it two stars. Uh, another thing I disagree with Todd about: John Boyega is a really good actor. I don't know. I don't know where you're coming off with that. Like, I thought he was great in Small Axe, and that's one thing. I think he has. He has. He was range. great in Detroit. Yeah, great in Detroit. He just hasn't had a not had a lot of opportunities he's great in this he's awful in that movie with tom hanks like i don't know i mean every time i see him i feel like i'm like okay he's not very good except small axe is the one thing that i was like okay yeah he's, he's he can do something 
he's the not time he's the, able to the use reason his British Star Wars accent. sucked. That's true. He he was he was one of the best he, things he did in not the contribute trilogy. To that. All right. Well, Zach's gonna have to see it and break this tie. I don't think we're going anywhere with with the argument about it. But no, it's 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 definitely amusing to listen to. It is in theaters. You can find it. Todd watched it on his computer. I watched it in the theaters on Friday night. So check it out. Okay. Moving on to our featured review. I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all. This is the most Zach movie ever made. You got to see it. Movie reviews. And for this, this is was the other part of my uh, of my uh, double feature I had on Friday night. Uh, the first part of my double feature, and uh, it is directed by George Miller, written by George Miller. Three thousand years of longing. My name is Alethea. My story is true. I am a solitary creature by nature. I have no children, no siblings, no parents. I did once have a husband. If there is fate, who can say? But in the Grand Bazaar of Istanbul, I chose a memento. I like it. Whatever it is, I'm sure it has an interesting story. So what would you wish for? What is your heart's desire? I do have a question. What does one do with three wishes? You'll see. wishing that is not a cautionary tale we all have desires even if they remain hidden from us but it is your story and i cannot wait to see where it goes oh how it might end hello hello he'll be staying for a while I'm beginning to wish we'd never met. Don't say that! Make a wish! Save yourself! I have a wish. waiting for the follow-up to mad max fury road now we have it todd you're starting out with this tell us about this movie and what you thought okay it is uh based on a book called the Jin in the nightingale's eye it's a which short i've story. never heard of and uh but yeah george miller co-wrote and directed this it stars Idris elba who plays a gin which i realize we should probably be drinking gin but uh it's basically like a genie and he's unleashed by this woman, Alethea, played by Oscar winner Tilda Swinton. And she's sort of a scholar. She hosts seminars. 
and she's somewhat schizophrenic. She has like episodes where she hallucinates demons and whatnot. But uh, the Jin says to her that she gets three wishes in exchange for her freedom or for his freedom. And uh, we have seen this kind of thing before, but not really like this, not really with, you know, George Miller having the freedom to do whatever the hell he wants to do. This is that's not really what the movie's about, though. The movie is like a series of vignettes told by the Jin to Alethea about how he got there, about his 3,000 years of longing and, and remaining relegated to like a small container. These stories, which are cool and interesting, like the, where he was with the, the Queen of Sheba and all these other people that had him and the crazy stories by and chance ways that he actually was uncovered. Uh, I thought it was leading to something else, but it isn't. Like, the movie is really just the Jin and Alethea sitting in a hotel room in bathrobes, and uh, the Jin is narrating these stories. Uh, the mythology, I think, is pretty intriguing. Uh, it doesn't really go the normal genie route. Like, it, it normally... Uh, or it, or, I, got, I mean, it actually kind of does something. Like, George Miller is a world builder, and uh, even though he is totally on his own wavelength here, like, this is a ride. It's kind of a weird ride to take part in. But it's always engaging. It's visually curious, even though the actual visual effects are kind of trash. But the scope and look of the movie are actually really beautiful. So, uh, Tilda Swinton, I think, is terrific in this. Uh, Idris Elba is believable. And uh, his deep voice and humanity really make you care. It's a truly, truly bizarre project. And I, I can see why it flopped so hard. Like, it finished seventh at the box office this weekend, which is one of the weakest weekends I've ever seen uh, for uh, theaters. But it comes all the way around in, in the third act, which is lacking in some ways, in a way that reminded me of Cloud Atlas or something like that. Like, I admire it. It somehow is less than 150 minutes, which kind of shocks me. It's actually less than two hours, which is cool. I'm giving it three stars. I, I actually really enjoyed watching this. All right. All right. Zach, I'll go to you next. Okay. Um, so, 3,000 Years of Longing. Um I was not longing for this movie. Uh, it was not seven years of longing for the next George Miller movie. Um, and uh, yeah, I thought this movie kind of sucked. Uh, it was um, a hard sit at uh, an hour, 45 minutes. Uh, I, I, I was defending off falling asleep at a couple points. Um, it's a weird movie that, that I will agree with uh, what Todd said. Um, it never, it doesn't quite fully commit to being the whole Let's have Idris Elba talk about incidents in his life and Tilda Swinton be his, you know, sort of stand-in analyst, psychologist or something and deconstruct it. It doesn't fully commit to the last 30 minutes where it devolves into a sort of uh, robe gray mystery. Uh, no, it doesn't. It actually becomes a dumb love story at the end, which even Miles wouldn't have done because page 750 onward is the exact same. Um, and, uh, it's, it's just not, it, to me, I, I, there's not even a whole lot I can say about the movie. I, I, I didn't find the characters particularly interesting. I think the stories, uh, I was waiting for some sort of epiphany uh, of greatness. I didn't see it. Um, it was kind of hard to follow. It was difficult to understand what the dramatic tension was in the story, why the genie couldn't grant all the wishes. I, I couldn't quite get that for a movie that pretend portends to be about the this art of storytelling and the study of, of narratives. Uh, this movie has a really strange narrative that never quite gels. Um, it doesn't have three acts like a typical movie structure, and it's not a typical love story, but there's also no dramatic tension and it's very inert. It also has two characters who really never evolve over the course of the story. I mean, th these characters kind of stay flat. It's not like they have accomplished anything or have lost anything or gained anything by the end of the story. They're kind of the same people that they were at the beginning. 
The movie tries to throw in a little bit. Uh, the, the movie is definitely there's a, you know a, a really kind of unseemly element of cultural appropriation in the story when you have uh, you know this, uh, this 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 white scholar, and then the, the movie I think tries to show so, something at the end that I wasn't quite sure with these bigoted neighbors that she has at the end of the movie. I'm not. I feel like Miller kind of threw that in to make some sort of statement maybe about defending the movie against uh, claims of cultural appropriation. I'm not really sure what what the point of that was. Um, and it feels just kind of like lame Terry Gilliam stuff. Maybe this is maybe the kind of movie that would would have come out maybe 20 or 30 years ago. Um, I feel like the framing device of telling stories in the past, I don't know, it feels like uh, something that happened a lot in the 90s. It's not particularly innovative here. Um, and I'm not really sure what the point of the movie is. Uh, George Miller is a wild guy, wild director. Uh, he's on his own wavelength. I give him respect for that. I agree with Todd. I'm thankful that the movie wasn't two and a half hours long. I can see a world where maybe in 10 years this movie gets revisited and is more appreciated. But to me, even the special effects were lame. Like I, I, I like George's, you know, little uh, riff on Tom Cruise. You know, thank you for coming to the movie at the beginning of it. But like this movie could have easily been seen on Netflix. I didn't think that the effects were particularly noteworthy. And I looked them up because you know George Miller used so many awesome practical effects in Mad Max Fury Road. One of the disappointments of this movie is that it looked very digital. And even if the effects were um, practical, they didn't really look particularly amazing. It really kind of looked like Idris Elba standing on an apple box. Um, Forced perspective. Uh, it just wasn't interesting to me. I I, I know that they're defenders of the movie, they, that they liked that it took a risk. But uh, to me, this movie was kind of a snoozer, and I give it two stars. All right. So three stars from Todd, two stars from Zach. I'm pretty much in full agreement with Zach on this one. Talk about a movie that has no purpose and doesn't have any reason to exist, like Todd was trying to say about the last one. That's 3,000 Years of Longing. It it was, it was, had no, no plot, which apparently George Miller's really good at because that was my same criticism with Mad Max Fury Road because I didn't really like that movie either. Um, it Nothing happens. I mean, talk about... It was obvious that this movie was a COVID movie. And I think uh, it is it shows how COVID movies can go wrong and trying to make them too simple and and weird. It. it yeah, it had I, I didn't mind the visuals. They, they were pretty good. Some of the some of the little side stories were compelling. But once I realized, oh, I'm just sitting here watching two people in bathrobes tell each other stories for an hour and a half. I was kind of. Like what? What is the point of this? What What is the point of this? I mean, it's not even like, like one of those movies. I know I haven't seen it yet, but a movie like My Dinner with Andre, which Zach loves, it's two people talking about, you know, life. That's not what they're talking about here. They're talking about they're ta just telling stories, and I mean, it, and they're not even that. And he's talking about his life. Well, yeah, but that's not that's not. The thing and the, yeah, the this way they try to, you know, yeah. Which I, I one, one thing I will say is is the Idris Elba character is fairly flat, but that's also because that that's just who he is. Like he he doesn't need to grow because he's a jinn. But um, yeah, the third act really, or the last act, however you want to splice it up, didn't work. I thought that was kind of lame. Um, I don't know. I'm giving it two stars too. It was it. Why? Why? 
that, well, see, like, that that's yeah. why I like the movie. I like that because it didn't like expand into some like big mystical like bullshit like genie wizard thing. It was really just it subverted my expectations that much that I was like, okay, I could get get by, get on this where the stories that he's telling are the movie. You know, and I know I know Zach loves the uh, the 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 nocturnal animals level orgy thing with the naked ladies. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I everything about this movie, I was just like, this is so different than what I was expecting. And I, which is, which almost makes uh, our our uh, our uh, power rankings look gonna be a little weird because I actually don't think this is all that different than some of his other movies. Like this is like Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome or something. So I think uh, I understand what Todd's saying. And another movie that kind of came to mind watching this movie is Animalisa, which Todd loves and I hate. Also, two characters in a hotel room who do nothing the whole movie. Um, I, I, I do I do have a soft spot for the movie because you're, you're right, Todd. It doesn't like necessarily indulge in cliches. And it's not like a, it's not conventional. No one would ever call this movie conventional. Um, even just the if, cast, if, the are, you, are you calling like actually having a plot a cliche because it doesn't have one? I think if this movie had followed that sort of traditional route, it would have been worse. But this movie, the, the, I guess the issue with this movie is kind of like Animalisa. It's a fun movie to talk about. It's a fun movie to think about. And I'm sure it must have been a fun movie to pitch. Uh, but the execution is, I think, kind of weak in this movie. And my sense is that maybe because Mad Max was so successful, everybody just kind of assumed, oh, it's George Miller. He's this iconoclastic, you know, master filmmaker, storyteller, babe pig in the city, Mad Max uh, you know, and who can forget Lorenzo's oil, of course. Um, but they just kind of gave him the green light and no one kind of said, well, let's stand back for a second. What is this movie really about? It, it kind of speaks in, in broad abstractions, right? Doesn't really say anything tangible. It's interesting to think about. It's academic. It's dry. There's a lot of dialogue in this. This is a very dialogue heavy movie that, that asks questions about the nature of, you know, uh, free will versus determinism love, um, you know, death, uh, a, a lifetime of longing, and they're interesting abstract questions. Um, I just, I kind of wanted the Mad Max Fury Road part of George Miller, though. I was kind of like, let's make this a cool movie about the world of these characters. Like, I thought the preview looked awesome. This movie kind of just dragged and it sunk, and especially the last 30 minutes, I, I'm kind of thinking like, am I, am I supposed to be invested in these characters? Because I didn't, I'm not invested in them. Well, see, like, like I was saying, it's like Cloud Atlas. Like Cloud Atlas has now just sort of come around. I think this movie has the potential to do that where people it's very possible reevaluate it. Yep. Now, I, I'm, I'm opposite with you, Zach. I was not looking forward to this movie at all. And if we weren't reviewing it, I don't know if I would have even seen it because the trailer did look looked as boring as the movie ended up being. Yeah, I mean... I, I don't know. I, I liked, I thought Tilda Swinton was fine in this movie and Idris Elba is fine too. It's not like, it's not the, that the performances were bad. Mm -hmm. I just, I, I don't know what the movie was, was trying to do. And it, Todd brings up Nocturnal Animals for, for one segment, but in a weird kind of way, this movie also resembles Nocturnal Animals because that movie is also using kind of voiceover framing device and does it so much better and, and really kind of probes the question of, you know, when someone is telling a story, uh, how factual is that? Uh, should we trust 
this reliable narrator that, you know, that would have been a cool dramatic tension. Okay. In the first 30 minutes, Tilda Swinton seriously questions Idris Elda's motives because she believes that, that he's a, fundamentally a trickster, right? That this gene is out for no good. And then the movie just kind of goes away from that. It kind of never really uh, uh, does anything with that. That would have been an interesting dramatic tension in the movie that it just kind of squanders and then forgets about. Right. Um, the love story. Well, I guess it's interesting, but it does it in such a sort of muted and like almost um, what's the word? Like almost alienated way. Like I, I never sensed a, a real um, either compatibility or or passion between these two characters. It just kind of seemed like you know you had this one. Well, character this is his last story. That his last story is what is what really hooked her. I think. I guess, but she's and and I listen. Agree. It didn't make any sense though. And you're sense. you're really going to tell a story about a genie who's offering three wishes to maybe the one person in the world who doesn't need anything or says they don't need anything. Now, first of all, that's a unique premise. Like the movie should have gone with that. But instead, it spends the first 45 minutes or an hour to an hour doing these strange stories from the genes past that don't really amount to anything. And then the one thing that she wants, the movie tries to show in the last 30 <laughs> minutes but it's not compelling because it doesn't seem to derive from anything authentic from that character because we know so little about her because the first hour has been devoted to something else. I don't know. I, I understand. There's a lot of people like this movie. It has a, a, a positive score on Rotten Tomatoes. I think it's a more fun movie to thought, t talk about or argue about than to actually sit and watch. It has a 60 on Metacritic, a 6.8 on IMDb right now. I saw I got a B cinema score, which is not as I thought. I thought this was the kind of thing that would get like a D or something, but people are responding to it positively in some, at least in some capacity. But See, I, not I, many because it's it's like you said, seven in the box office and opening weekend made two point nine million, and it was playing in every theater. Well, yeah. So well, the the number one was made seven million. I mean, it was like the most atrocious box office weekend I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, for Top Gun Maverick, number four. Flop Gun Maverick, <laughs> we really just four. need to go see the, the Dragon Ball Z movie, guys. I mean, come on. We're, we're really missing out on that. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, this movie is in theaters, like I said. $60 million budget, by the way, for this movie. Looking at those uh, numbers, it's not going to be in theaters for very long. So, This movie, um, might, is this going to make the list of biggest box office bombs? It seems like it's headed that direction. It could. It could. I don't think the budget's big enough for it to do that. Yeah. Could you I mean, internationally, I'm sure, will, I'm sure this will do fine in, like, Australia and stuff. I don't know. As talky as this movie is? I, maybe. I think if, if, if what we've said is anything, it's a movie worth talking about. And so that's, a, that's something, if you want to see it, it's, it's, a, it's a good discussion piece. 3,000 Years of piece. Longing. It's a think piece. It's in theaters now. Uh, check it out if you want. Todd gave it three. Zach and I gave it two. That's our featured review. All right. Where's Adam going to be on this? Oh, yeah. So, side side question. Um, I wrote down a list. Uh, what is the best 3,000? Uh, we have 3,000 Miles to Graceland, Mr. 3,000, uh, The Year 3,000 by the Jonas Brothers. Um, Chasing 3,000. Andre, Andre 3,000. Oh, Andre is definitely the top of what you've said so far. <laughs> <laughs> this movie doesn't, I don't think it cracks the top five of 3000s. Didn't, 
Did someone rush for 3,000 yards? Barry Sanders rushing for 3,000 yards in college football? That's that's better, too. That, that's, that's, that's the tops. That's tops right there. Nice side list there. I like that. You're okay. welcome. That that took more effort than no, actually sitting through that movie took more effort than coming up with that list, but it was close. <laughs> I think Adam's giving this three and a half stars. That's what I was thinking too. He, he's gonna love this movie. All right. It is now time for our spotlight segment. Spotlight. And this is gonna be interesting. I don't know how this is gonna go, but we're gonna we're gonna give it a shot. We're trying something new for our spotlight segment. And Todd, I think you initially had the idea, and then Zach blew this thing up into something <laughs> completely wild. So, Todd, tell us what we're doing here. Okay, so I suggested we should do something like we should uh say what we think would have been the number six through ten in best picture in nineteen ninety seven, because we're doing all these nineteen ninety seven deep dives and then zach decides hey why don't we make it into a draft and we uh so there's no overlap so we all have our five and then uh we'll put it up on twitter and see who uh who has the best list of predicted the people decide nominees yeah, yeah so we're gonna have, there's gonna be like 15 movies and i none of these have most of these had almost no shot at being nominated but this will be fun to try to break down this will be like a full breakdown of the 1997 oscars i guess it, it really is yeah and and looking at it, it, it's like those five were pretty solid five. Like so, th- this is going to be interesting. I suggested maybe even allowing those five to be to be in it and see who could come up with like the best five in in Oscar candidates. But no, we're going with with the uh, the best. Who's who can draft the best not nominated best pay, the best six to ten the best six to ten. That's what we're looking at here. Who could who could draft the best six to ten? Okay, so uh, we're gonna go. We're gonna do this here. We're gonna do this. We're doing it. We're doing it. Um, order is gonna be. I, I've got my random generator up here. Order is gonna be determined through that uh, snake draft. I'm thinking snake draft, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So just just to clarify, so when we put out our list, are we talking about movies that we would personally choose? As numbers Ooh, five, good six question. or ten, or what the Academy likely would have done 25 years ago if we could go back in time. It's what the Academy would have done, right, Todd? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So what would have been six through ten? Not because what those think. five wouldn't have been our top five, so that'd be a pointless thing to do the other way around. Yeah. Yeah, so okay. I can't save my best friend's wedding, you know, because Probably I would put not. that list. Probably not. I would I would nominate that for sure. Okay. Okay. I think I get. So let, let's see how this goes. Uh, our draft order here, and I'll keep I'll keep track of how we how we do. Our draft order is going to be me, Zach, Todd. There we go. Nice. Okay. That's how, that's how we're doing it. Um. All right. So I get first pick. Oh, th- this is. Like we were saying, this is an interesting one. This is an interesting one. But as I was looking at 1997 Oscars, the best part is most of the movies we're going to talk about, I haven't even seen. So um, this is this is going to be good. This will be You're fun. You're very objective on this thing. I'm, I'm very objective. Uh, I'm going to go. My first pick uh, for this is going to be The Sweet Hereafter. Really? Um, okay. It, it's got it. It had the uh, it had the director nomination. It had the screenplay nomination. I don't know if it had much beyond that, 
but director screenplay that's that's like a ticket into the into the conversation of of uh of uh best picture now it may not have been sixth but i think it was the most likely to be in the list so that's that's what i'm going with i'm going with sweet hereafter solid pick all right zach Okay, I'm going to go with uh, something that um, got some Oscar buzz, had one notable nomination, and we all love it, and I'm here for the fans on Twitter. I'm going Boogie Nights, baby, okay? Maybe it was a little controversial at the time. It certainly aged well. There's no real trendy movie in 1997 that got the nomination with the possible exception of Goodwill Hunting. Let's get trendy with the voters here. Let's get youthful. We're getting younger, like Dunder Mifflin Infinity, and younger and faster, and we're going with this 27-year-old auteur from the San Fernando Valley named P.T. Anderson. Not 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 a, a car name. His name is actually P.T. Anderson. That's that's my pick for number one. Groovy. All right. You guys chose uh, what I had ranked numbers two and three, so I get my number one. You get your number one. So what's your number one? Uh, number you one is definitely uh, the Wings of the Dove. Would have been number six for sure. Nine. That was a a very British movie. It was all, all over the British awards. It was uh, got a screenplay nomination and by the Oscars and a best actress nomination. Uh, written by the guy who wrote uh, Drive, by the way, which I think is interesting. But uh, SAGs also gave it an extra nomination in addition to Alan Martin Carter. That would have been number six. And uh, I think it probably split a little bit too many votes with the full Monty. That's why it didn't get in the top five. All right. And my second choice is Amistad. Yeah, which is that's a good one. Spielberg's movie. It was nominated everywhere at the Golden Globes, and uh, it's. I mean, yeah, it would it would have been in the ten. Like Spielberg movies always are in the ten, and uh, this one lacking in some of the key areas, but it did get one acting nomination. Yeah, I had that written down as my number two. Okay, now we're to Zach. All right. Well, uh, I could go with um, now again, I, I have a theme to my list, which is that the Academy was smart in 1997. In some ways, I'm going to say that the smarter voters uh, still succeeded. And this was definitely a Christmas release. Santa's got a brand new bag was the tagline on the great trailer to this movie that featured the voice of Quentin Tarantino introducing Jacqueline Brown, Jackie Brown. It's getting a nomination. It got a supporting actor nomination. Uh, it got, you know, uh, Pam Greer got some nomination love, I'm sure, somewhere. Didn't she get a Golden Globe nomination, I'm sure, or a BAFTA or something? Who cares? It oh, it, it, it would have gotten in there at some point. I have that number 13, so. <laughs> that, that's that's your list, and, that, and that's why it's my list. So it's okay to have a difference of opinion. That's that's nice. This is an opinion. This, this is what you predict. You, if you would have predicted that as best picture nominee, then that's that's a problem. I I have a feeling I know what Zach's next pick is going to be, and this is going to be the most Zach list ever. Um, I'm for, I'm for the fans on Twitter. Okay. Yeah, you're going. You're you're a film Twitter. Oh yeah, right? you you choose like he's, <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. Okay, never mind. <laughs> All right. Because um, has anyone uh, even heard of the Wings of the Dove? Well, I mean, what is that? And, I mean, and they would have if it had been hereafter? nominated. What? What is that? It would have if it been nominated. All right. Um, I'm going next here. We're going to make it clear that this picks. is predictions, not not personal choice. And, exactly. Um, yes, that's true. Exactly. That is true. Okay. 
But these uh, are, but um, those, I mean, those are both on Ebert's top 10 list and they got nominations. So I, I'm not entirely off base. Okay. Uh, I think if you're, if you're looking at like recent trends of the Academy, I think this gets in, I don't know if it gets in in 1997, but I think it, it's worth, it's worth, uh, it's worth drafting here. And that is Kundun. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about that. Um, Scorsese. I mean, do you need to say anything more than that? And other than silence, I mean, every any movie that he makes that's a that's a an awards pick like this. Well, that's all of his picture. big like religious epics don't get nominated. This and that's true. Silence and um, Last Temptation of Christ. Yeah. All right, so I'm going there uh, for my next pick, making the turnaround here. Okay. I feel like sometimes you have movies that. Yeah, I'm going to do it. Uh, I feel like sometimes you have movies that um, nowadays they get into the 10, especially like back when they first started doing 10, where they would give it another nomination just so that it could say it wasn't just nominated for Best Picture. And this might be a random stab in the dark and really, really a bad pick, but I'm going with it. I'm going with The Boxer. I had um, that on my list. Okay. Yeah, written and directed by Jim Sheridan. Also written by Terry George, Daniel Day-Lewis, Emily Watson. Uh, Jim Sheridan hadn't quite blown up yet. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis was a was a one-time winner at that, at that point, now a three-time winner. Uh, it didn't have any other nominations. That's why I kind of don't want to go with it, but I feel like something else would have been nominated if it was in the Best Picture conversation which it totally could have been if there were 10 nominees. Yeah, that was uh, under consideration. It was nominated for Golden Globe. Yeah, Uh, Um, it it had a best picture and director at the Golden Globes. Yeah, it's a good pick. I had it. uh, It was going to be one of my next picks if no one picked it. Uh, So that's that's a good call. It's probably your best pick so far, Terry, for the value, of, of course, too. Okay, I'm going with the movie that also got some love at the Golden Globes that year, at least in terms of nominations, not so much wins. It was by an Academy Award-winning director and two Academy Award-winning actors. And I'm kind of surprised it didn't get more Oscar nominations, and that is Wag the Dog, mm-hmm. a movie that appeared on a lot of best uh, best of the year lists. I think it was on both Siskel and Ebert's lists. And uh, yeah, to- funny, topical, relevant, and I, I'm sure it has not aged well at all. But uh, in 1997, they would have been all like, hey, we're going to be, you know, in with, you know, all the Clinton administration scandals and let's be funny and topical. And this is the this is the Adam McKay Best Picture nominee from 1997. That wouldn't have had a chance to win, but it would have been there. Not the pick I thought you were going to go with, but okay. Yeah, that was the that was the highest on my board left. So. I like it. All right. Todd, you got back to back picks. Uh, my next one uh, actually was not nominated for a single Oscar, but I mean, it had to have been really close on in several cases because it is a very Academy friendly kind of movie, especially for the 90s. And that's The Ice Storm, uh, directed by Ang Lee, written by James Seamus, who is his collaborator on like Crouching Tiger and whatnot. This is a sort of a domestic drama in the vein of like American Beauty and stuff like this. This totally would have been in the running i just i just don't know how it didn't actually get any oscar nominations like sigourney weaver probably was number six and 
There's probably a number six for screenplay and several other things. And my other, my next one is I have Donnie Brasco, which we just talked about last week, is a screenplay nominee. Uh, obviously, I, I think that that speaks volumes to how much the movie was respected and like having respect in the Academy, is, it goes a long way in uh, getting a Best Picture nomination, especially in a field of 10. I think it could have been number nine or 10. Yeah, that's one that definitely could have slipped in there for sure. All right, Zach. All right, well, uh, we have to go with the bullshit British pick, which in 1997 was the full Monty, which was a good pick, but there's another one out there. Wings of the Dove. Uh, no, not Wings of the Dove, <laughs> which is an American movie, by the way. Um, and uh, we're going to go with uh, a movie that was uh, starring, uh, there's nothing like a Dame, J Dame Judi Dench, who had not won an Oscar at that point. You know, she was kind of like, uh, you know, in, in uh, Paul Newman territory. When's she going to win her Oscar? She ultimately won it the next year, but she did get a nomination for it. And that is Mrs. Brown, you've got a lovely daughter. Not the Herman's Hermit song, but a movie that is apparently about someone named Mrs. Brown. And I do remember that when uh, Helen Hunt won her Oscar, the first words out of her, her mouth were, uh, the, the, the third time I watched Mrs. Brown in a theater, I thought, no, I know. She said, the first time I watched Mrs. Brown in theater, because I saw it three times, I turned over to my beloved and said, Judy, De Judy Dench is going to win an Oscar for this. So I feel like uh, Mrs. Brown, it's stunning that it didn't get a nomination. And I, I, I think I'm taking my list to the back. I don't know what you guys are talking Donnie Brasco over. Donnie Brasco didn't get any nominations except for the one. But we can do the trash talk in a little bit. I like my Mrs. Brown pick. I love that is still... a British movie. I don't know what you're talking about, but okay. I love that you still don't know how to say Donnie Brasco. It's not Donnie Brasco. Donnie Brasco. Donnie Bra... Well, Donnie uh, Brasco. Yeah. Well, I accidentally texted you Donnie Brazoff, and we were make... <laughs> we were talking about how there was the, there was the the botched Russian translation uh, or Russian oh, that's remake right. of yeah, uh, yeah, Donnie Brasco. Like burning Madoff or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know what happened there. Okay. All right, so now it's me for my last two picks. Okay, I've got I've got a couple things rolling around in my head here. Um, trying to decide. Okay. All right, uh, I'm gonna go with a movie that only had one Oscar nomination, but had a bunch of BAFTA nominations and wins. Um, it's a director we've talked a lot about this year, uh, Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. That's what I'm going I think with. That's a, that, wasn't that 96? That's a 96 movie. Is it 96? I think it's a 97 BAFTA movie. Well, then never mind. I'm not taking it. Um, yeah, it is 96. Never mind. Then I'm not taking that one. Never mind. Never mind. Um, all right. So then another one I was looking at there, there's always like the blockbuster movie that sneaks into the conversation. And I think if there was a blockbuster that was going to sneak into the conversation for best picture that year, it was going to be air force one. Right. <laughs> so that's what I would agree. Ed editing nomination. Yeah. I mean, it had what it had two Oscar nominations and it were, it, it were, it was editing. <laughs> They were that. That's what I needed to say. They were editing, and what was the other one? 
There, here we go. Sound and sound and editing. Yeah. All right. So Air Force One and I'm gonna all right. I'm gonna say Hercules. It's a Disney animated movie. We're we're getting we're getting to to like this is like number what seventeen getting drafted here. So you got you got to tell me that the animated Disney movie was was in the conversation that much. So Hercules. I mean, it could be. I've never seen that one, but I don't think I mean, it, it had quite the love that the previous Disney movies from the '90s had. No, but. I'm going to go with it. I'm going to go with it. Okay. Zach? Okay, well, I'm kind of torn between a couple movies here. Um, I I really want to say Selena. Uh, I, I don't think I'm actually going to say it because that would be the one that I would want to have seen a nomination for. Uh, but I don't think the Academy would have had the balls to do it in 1997. Um, you know what you want to say. You know what you want to say. Well, Just say it. Okay, I'll say it. I'm going with Selena. Why not? No, you're. What? I am going to go with Selena. What the hell? It's man? a movie that got good reviews, and it was J Lo's breakout role. And you need something again, a little bit flashy. You need uh You need this. This is the an edu uh, the the you know Carrie Mulligan an education sort of breakout role. Um, and I think it would have, you know, if the fifth pick, you got to go a little bit avant-garde, a little bit unconventional. The only other one I was really thinking about was Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil because Clint. But I don't think that was actually a well-received movie. So I can't. Yeah, two that's movies a, that year. That, that's boring. What was, well, oh, really, what was his other one? Um, Absolute Power, I believe. Oh, okay. Well, that wasn't going to get it. I was also thinking about um, Spike Lee's Four Little Girls, but I don't think that that movie, uh, they were, I don't think they were quite ready to nominate a uh, a documentary. So I'm, I'm and it wasn't with, even the winner. So yeah, it wasn't a winner either. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to go with Selena. I don't love the pick, but I like my list still more than your guys. I, I am let shocked. The, let the fans decide. I am shocked. JLo did not pick Contact. Wings of the Dove. No, Contact was a summer movie. I, I remember seeing it in the theaters in the summer, and it was not the most critically praised movie, but it's 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 not a bad option. I still like Selena more. All right. Todd, with the last pick. Well, yeah, I mean, you left a screenplay nomination for me, so I guess I got to yeah. go with Deconstructing Harry. And I think that we know now that when you have 10 nominees, like Woody Allen's definitely getting in. Uh I mean, Bullets Over Broadway easily would have gotten nomina a nomination. And also, with I mean, I, I think it probably was six or seven for director or something. So I guess I have to go with that. Okay. There we go. All right. So so I have The Sweet Hereafter, Coon Dune, The Boxer, Air Force One, and Hercules. That's probably the only list that those five movies will ever appear on. <laughs> List of ninety-seven movies. Yeah, list of ninety-seven. <laughs> yeah, I guess ninety-seven. Zach has Zach. Go through your list. I have Boogie Nights, Jackie Brown, Wag the Dog, Mrs. Brown, and Selena. Mrs. Brown is not the same as Jackie Brown. No, she was never married, or was she? Was she married? Jackie Brown was married. Remember, okay. uh, she ran she ran drugs for her husband, who was the pilot. Oh, that's right. That's right. So Mrs. Brown. I mean, that could just be the the, the prequel to Jackie Brown. It, it could be. Sorry, Judy Dench. <laughs> theory. 
And I, and right. we didn't say conspiracy theory was uh, one of the nominees either, right? Not the Mel Gibson, Julia Roberts movie. Right, exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> Todd, what's your list? Uh, I have uh, The Wings of the Dove, Amistad, The Ice Storm, Donnie Brasco, and Deconstructing Harry. All right. So, so yeah, I'll throw these up. On, as, um, as Todd texted us, this is about as degenerate as this podcast gets. <laughs> I mean, it cannot get lower than this, right? This is this has to be the bottom of the barrel. We are we are hypothetically asking what voters from 25 years ago might have <laughs> thought would have been the numbers six through ten best movies of the year had they had a chance to vote on them. Yes. It would have been better if we didn't do the auction, but the auction just made it super entertaining because we really were scraping. Well, that was, that was so now, now that we're uh, deconstructing Harry and deconstructing this stupid segment, uh, did was this worth it? You know, did, did, did you steal anybody's? Because I was in a great place. Terry kept on picking stupid movies. So I, I just <laughs> I got every movie I wanted. I was not going to pick Air Force One. I had 15 movies written down and 12 of them were taken. So, you know, I got I definitely got everything in my top nine. I got so, yeah, I I, wrote, I I did not have a whole lot of time to prepare for this. I had four movies written down and I I got two of them. So <laughs> you had four written down. That's all I had time to do. <laughs> I was the one I actually had my best friend's wedding on my list at number 11 and the contact and the Rainmaker. Yeah, I thought about the Rainmaker, too. I don't know. None of those John Grisham movies ever got serious Oscar attention. Coppola. Yeah, that's fair. Coming off Jack. True. Now, it would have been interesting if if one of us had picked, like, The Game or The Fifth Element, something like that. Fifth Element wouldn't have been a bad pick. Actually, the Fifth Element, I could could see, like, being the... uh, um like the dune was, pick yeah the dune pick or or uh what was that one in, in 2009 the alien the, the strange bug district, no, oh, district, yeah, nine. district nine the district nine pick that year yeah all right well yeah once uh once this episode is out i will throw these up on on twitter and you guys can vote for which one was the best um hopefully we get some votes on this we don't usually get too many votes on on polls that we put out but maybe we'll see could get something here. All right, that was fun. I actually really like that. I, the, the new format, it was good. It was good. All right, moving on from that. Power rankings time. You can't top that. Yeah, that's the movie about the horse. I'm gonna pull an audible at the last minute here. That's because I haven't seen it. Power rankings. Not including Fargo. Can't choose Fargo ever again. Todd. You got to pick this one. In honor of 3,000 years of longing, kind of now, Yeah. <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I said, I, I don't even like the title of that movie. Like, I, I just called it the George Miller Genie movie because 3,000 years of longing sounds like a very, very depressing movie, and I just don't like even saying the title. So uh, I decided that, may, that movie sounded like and looked like it looked nothing like anything George Miller had ever done. So I wanted to look into director's filmographies and pick out the movies that are the most random inclusions in there. Like the ones that it just does not fit, whether it's in terms of genre or whether it's in terms of like tone or whatever else, just or subject matter, something that does not you know, fit with the other movies in the, in the list. All right. 
Yeah. I, I have I, I titled my list most random films in a director's filmography. Yeah, I wrote down eight thousand ways to die of suffering, uh, if longing list because in honor of everybody's default number one pick, eight million ways to die, uh, which <laughs> should just be our. I mean, that's our. You know, none of us can say that because that's just obviously everybody's number one, right? I mean, it's the most. You know head-scratching film in Hal Ashby's celebrated oeuvre, <laughs> as has been discussed on many a podcast. Yes. All right. Eight Million uh, Ways to Suffer. That's what we should call our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're, uh, let's go with, uh, let's go in reverse order of what we just did. So, Todd, you get to, you get to put forth your number five first. Okay, my number five, the director was just mentioned by Terry... Uh, he said that he wasn't hadn't blown up yet. It's Jim Sheridan's movie "Get Rich or Die Trying." Good one. The um, Fifty Cent document or uh, oh, like gosh. a biopic sort of thing of, about him as a inner city drug dealer becoming a rapper. And this is the Irish filmmaker who brought us "My Left Foot," so he definitely had blown up by that point. And oh, I guess in America, had, yeah. and it's also written by Terrence Winter, which I didn't realize. He's like the creator of Boardwalk Empire, so. But yeah, this movie it's a it's like a it's a fifty cent movie and it's directed by the Oscar nominated Jim Sheridan who has who never touched anything remotely close to this. So I had to be on the list. Yeah, that's a good one. I also had that tied with Curtis Hansen for Eight Mile. I kind of think <laughs> they cancel each other out because they're kind of the same movie and the same unusual choice for an otherwise uh, uh, you know predictable director. All right, Zach, you're number five. Okay, I'm going to go with my uh, uh, somewhat stereotypical French pick. Uh, I really like the director Claude Barry. He wrote Jean de, he did Jean de Florette and Man in of the Spring. If you look at his filmography, which is pretty massive, um, a lot of the movies that he did were kind of big um, outdoor movies. He was a very bucolic director, and he made movie, he made Germinal in 1994. Three, which is about these miners uh, in, in the early turn of the century. And uh, these movies that kind of had um, big set pieces and big casts, and they were sometimes three hours. And, you know, John Florette's an epic. Uh, and, but then later in his career, he did a movie that I actually just watched this summer that I really enjoyed, but it's a head-scratching film for him. It's called The, the, uh, the Housekeeper. And it's with uh, one of my favorite, recent favorite French actresses, Emily Duquesne, who was in Rosetta. And she may have been the reason I watched this movie. And it's basically just a low-key uh, hour and a half sex comedy. Um, it's, it's a sex romp about this uh, lonely guy who's in a divorce. And uh, he hires a housekeeper, Emily Duquesne, who is uh, young and voluptuous. And she moves in with him and they fall in love and basically have a torrid sexual affair. And it's very funny and it's very kind of um, whimsical and not serious. And um, it's so not Claude Berry. I mean, for one thing, it's you know like 85 minutes long and it's funny and it has a lot of sex in it. And, uh, you know, I enjoy it, but um, you wouldn't have thought Claude Berry. You know, I would have thought maybe someone like, I don't know, someone, you know, like Eric Romare or someone kind of talkier. But uh, I enjoyed the movie, and uh, it's just not very uh, typical for Claude Berry, who I believe died shortly after the film. And I will say I tried to avoid directors who were kind of at the end of their lives. This is the one pick I kind of made in that direction because, you know, oftentimes they couldn't really get, get gigs by that point. 
hence the Hal Ashby thing. But this one was not his last, last film. He died um, in 2009. He made a few movies afterwards, but it's still kind of a strange, strange, uh, strange selection on his filmography. All right. I am next. My number five. Okay. This is, this is one where this is kind of like a retroactive looking back on it. Random film, like when it first happened, it wasn't necessarily, but now looking back on it's like that, that doesn't fit in who this director became. And there's actually several films you could point to on this list that, that satisfy, but I feel like this is the, uh, the best option here. Uh, when you think back on the career of Ang Lee and realize he made his English language debut with Sense and Sensibility and a Jane Austen adaptation and say, this is the guy who brought us Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon and Life of Pi and Gemini Man and these overblown like CGI that, spectacles the football and then, halftime walk movie too. Yeah, Billy Lynn's long halftime walk. And he also has Brokeback Mountain in there, which is is a very different movie in itself. It just just a beautiful cinematography film. But to think back, he made his English debut with Sense and Sensibility. That doesn't that doesn't fit. Doesn't fit with what else what he became. And so like a lot of the movies that we're going to talk about are ones that, that like when they came out they were head scratchers like Three Thousand Years of Longing, but this one, looking back, it's like, how is that his start? As, I mean, that that's like finding out James Cameron started out by directing Pride and Prejudice. It doesn't make sense. And so, uh, yeah, that's my number five is Ang Lee, Sense and Sensibility. So Ang Lee is sort of all over the map, but yeah, right. like that one really is one that is stands out. So like, yeah, I mean, I thought about Ang Lee more, more so for the ice storm. I didn't put him on my list, but like the reason I couldn't do it is because exactly what Todd said, Ang Lee's kind of all over the place. He's always kind of been all over the place. And, you know, obviously he's known probably mostly for the Oscar awards that his films have garnered. Um, but I would think that would line him up perfectly with something like Sense and Sensibility. I don't know. It's, it, it, he's too eclectic to uh, kind of pinpoint. He is at the same time. I feel like that one just, it feels a little too far out there for what his career has become. All right. Todd, number four. Uh, okay. My number four, I went with, I mean, I realized I chose movies from directors that all the movies I don't really like, but uh, this one comes from the director F Gary gray and it's be cool. The, uh, sort of <laughs> oh, spinoff, I guess of, um, Get Shorty. This is the director of uh, movies like Straight Outta Compton, Law Abiding Citizen, the, the Italian Job, The Negotiator, Friday. None of that sounds anything like this, like goofy and very in Hollywood, really sort of bad uh, comedy with a lot of really talented people in it. it I mean, I, I mean, I guess this it was a good sign for him that he was able to get a big budget movie like this, but. It did really, it really is an egregious uh, movie to stand out in that in that in that list of movies. That's a good call. That's a good call. I found this list a really hard one to research. 
Yeah, there wasn't really a whole lot of ways to go out except for just like start clicking through IMDb. Yeah, I, I would not have come up with that one. All right, Zach, number four. Yeah, that's a good pick. Um, I went number four with a movie that came out fairly recently by a director we all know and love, Todd Haynes. And it, it is uh, Dark Waters with um, the Hulk oh. himself, Mark <laughs> Ruffalo. That's a Anne good Hathaway, one. And Hathaway. And uh, yeah, I mean, when we saw the trailer for this, which, by the way, that trailer was jammed down our throats. Um, it did not look like a Todd Haynes movie. Um, I saw it in a theater where no one else was in the theater. Uh, it's not a very good movie. Um, it's not a Todd Haynes movie at all. And I don't know why he made it. Um, it's basically like his version of Francis Ford Coppola doing the Rainmaker. I mean, that would be probably the closest approximation. It's basically like an environmental sort of legal thriller with Mark Ruffalo, not Hillary Swank as the entrepreneuring, uh, lawyer who's they, they knew all along. I mean, he's doing the whole, you know, spotlight thing, but in, with coal and West Virginia and something like that. And it's like, it, it, the movie is excessively long. Um, and uh, it's kind of depressing. Um, Todd Haynes, what were you doing? I don't know. What was, what was he smoking when he made that movie? Not, not a good movie. And, and certainly the, the strangest sore thumb on his otherwise really good filmography. He had, the, he had another weird one too. The, what's it called? Like Wonderstruck or something. But like, it was like a, like a fantasy movie. Yeah. Wonderstruck. Yeah, but this this didn't have any kind of fantasy elements to it. I mean, when you think Todd Haynes, it's okay, you think fantastic, right? Or you think high production values. You don't think gritty sure. legal yeah. drama based on a true story. Yeah, Dark Waters never felt like a Todd Haynes movie at all. All right. Good pick. Good pick. My number four is is one that I mean, kind of the opposite of what I had on my first one. This one is one that, like, in the moment, you went, that's an odd choice. And it fits a little better seeing where the career has gone since. But still, it kind of stands out as an odd as an odd spot in the filmography. When you look at the career of David Fincher and see how he went through this run of just great crime thrillers and, and plot twists all over the place... And then you find out he's going to, you know, crack the Oscar conversation with this like quiet drama CGI movie about a guy aging backwards. It didn't fit. It makes sense. So Curious Case of Benjamin Button uh, in David Fincher's filmography is my pick for number four. And like I said, since, I mean, he's done stuff like The Social Network and Mank. He's done some other quiet dramas. He's gone back to his crime roots with with Gone Girl and Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. But still, you look at the the totality of his filmography, the curious case of Benjamin Button doesn't fit with everything else that that David Fincher has done. So that's my number four. Yeah, I would that was under consideration for sure. All right, Todd, number three. Oh, okay, my number three is a movie we all just adore. It is Downsizing, uh, the movie by Alexander Payne. Uh, Are you picking it because it's crap or because it doesn't it doesn't make well, any it, sense? it really doesn't fit. I mean, he hasn't made a movie in five years because of it, probably. But he, I mean, Alexander Payne has a definite style. Downsizing, a big like visual effects sort of like weird 
idea kind of thing is not really what he's ever done and not what he should be doing because that movie was terrible. And all of his other movies are very reserved, very intelligent uh, movies. And yeah, Downsizing stands out. I didn't mean to pick all movies I don't like. It just happened to be that way. Good pick. Good pick. Zach, number three. Okay, my number three is a film that we've mentioned before. Um, it's a movie that uh, I, I think we even mentioned because it was so weird in the director's filmography. Now, this is a director who is somewhat of a chameleon, so it almost violates my rule. It's a little bit like the Ang Lee pick, but it is so unusual. I'm basically justifying it in the same way that Terry justified his pick of Sense and Sensibility, and that is Sam Mendes directing Away We Go. I mean, what oh, was that? Good call. That's that's a strange pick. Uh, he had worked in domestic comedy before with American Beauty, so I guess maybe that's the closest through line. But his movies leading up to Away We Go were Road to Perdition, Jarhead, and Revolutionary Road, and um, it just kind of seemed like, especially coming out after such sort of a big kind of Oscar push with Revolutionary Road, that this kind of lightweight comedy coming out the summer after Revolutionary Road seemed almost like an afterthought in a way. It wasn't being billed as an Oscar movie. It didn't really have the world's most recognizable cast. I mean, John Krasinski, I don't know how, how well, I don't think he was particularly well known by that point. Maya Rudolph was still more known for SNL. Um, and it's actually, like I was saying on our recent podcast, probably my favorite Sam Mendes movie. So it's maybe the opposite of uh, what we're talking about with downsizing. Um, it's a movie that stands out because it's a good movie and because it's kind of different from the other kind of Bond, big spectacle, big budget, big Oscar push movies that Sam Mendes is now mostly known for. Right. That's what I was going to say is where he's gone since Away We Go was he did two Bond movies, a World War One movie, and now he's got a, a nostalgia prestige pick coming out this year in Empire of Light. So, yeah, Away We Go, I, I, I can get behind that. That really does stick out. All right. My number three. Yeah, th this one, this one was odd. Um, and it still is odd. I mean, it, it, yeah. When you have a, a, a great action franchise that you're looking to like to reboot and rebrand. The last thing you should say is, let's go get the Pixar guy. So my number three is Brad Bird directing Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Wow. Um, <laughs> I didn't even know he directed that. Yeah. Before that, nice. he had directed The Iron Giant, The Incredibles, and Ratatouille. So let's give him the Tom Cruise Mission Impossible franchise to, uh, to rebrand it and bring about the fourth installment of the Ethan Hunt saga. What? <laughs> Tomorrowland is sort of in that realm, right? I mean, Tomorrowland, Tomorrowland came out four, what? No, yeah, four years later, and is kind of in that realm, which bombed. And since then, the only thing he's done is Incredibles two. So, I mean, he he's got what one, two, three, four, five, six movies in his filmography. Four of them are animated, and then he's got Tomorrowland, which is based off of a Disney ride. It's because he's Disney, and then Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol. Yeah, what was like when they give Andrew Stanton uh, John Carter? It's like they, they were trying to make these Pixar guys into like the next big wigs. Yeah, really but work. I mean that that one giving someone like something like that of like here start this franchise, sure. 
giving someone the reboot to a Tom Cruise established franchise. I, he did a great job too. I think Ghost Protocol is a lot of fun. I mean, that's the one where they're they're in Dubai and he's like climbing the outside of the building in the middle of a sandstorm. I mean, it, it's a cool movie. But why yeah. give it to Brad Bird? It doesn't make any sense. That's my number three. Cool. Todd, number two. Uh, my number two, I mean, it was sort of like an easy pick. It's Wes Craven directing Music of the Heart. Good one. Like a, a Meryl Streep Oscar prestige movie about like a composer or something. Like, I mean, the director of the screen movies in The Last House on the Left is making his uh his Oscar movie. Really, I it's real never never really made a whole lot of sense. And I still don't think there's any Wes Craven in that movie. It's uh yeah, it's puzzling. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, it's kind of like I thought about M. Night Shyamalan's first movie. Um, now I can't remember the name of it, but it's like it's. Oh, the one with Rosie O'Donnell. Yes, uh, it is uh, Wide Awake. Yes. And it's all about this kind of young boy and it's sort of a coming of age cute movie. If Kenneth Branagh had directed it, it would have been nominated for Best Picture. Uh, But it definitely doesn't. But because it was before The Sixth Sense, it was kind of difficult to place. Uh, but that came kind of in the heyday of Wes Craven's career, probably maybe a little bit after the peak. So he was definitely known for different genres of movies by that point. It's a good pick. It's a good pick. Zach, number two. Okay. My, my number two is also, again, a director um, sort of known more for maybe, um, I guess, not so much a specific one specific style, but a... Uh, a uh, quality, shall we say, of movie that this, I don't know if it ever really amounted to. And that is Sidney Lumet, who did do a lot of different movies, admittedly. But he also directed The Wiz, which is a strange <laughs> pick, um, in part because of his uh, skin color and because it is a musical, a musical with Diana Ross um, playing a teenager, even though she was 30 years old, and Michael Japs- Jackson and Nipsey Russell. And in a movie that was kind of now, it, first, it's remembered sort of as a bomb, although it's actually not a bad movie. It plays on TCM every once in a while. It's pretty entertaining. And uh, it's kind of remembered as the movie that killed uh, black exploitation, uh, directed by a white man. Um, we don't think of musicals when we think of Sidney Lumet. But then again, we what do we think of? I mean, I guess we think of 12 Angry Men and Dog Day Afternoon. It's and maybe, you know, um, uh, Serpico again, kind of hard to place. This movie takes place in New York city. So maybe that's the connection, but, uh, it's a strange one. And probably most people wouldn't remember that Sidney Lumet directed it. Yeah. Good call on that. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Number two for me. Uh, this is one where, I feel like it's a more recent one. So I feel like it's not going to stand out maybe as this career goes on. But like, I feel like this is like, like picking like Adam McKay right after the big short came out because it's like the big short made no sense in Adam McKay's filmography. But then you saw after that, he made vice. He he's made don't look up, but right now, Joker does not fit in Todd Phillips filmography at all. I mean, yeah. you, you have Road Trip, Old School, Starsky and Hutch, School for Scoundrels, 
The Hangover Parts 1, 2, and 3, Due Date, and War Dogs. That sounds like the guy I want to get for the depressing, uh, like, Scorsese ripoff of a of a superhero villain origin story uh, that's going to get Joaquin Phoenix an Oscar. That, what? <laughs> it, it makes no sense. And now we know that they're going to make a, a sequel to it that's going to be a musical starring uh, starring Joaquin Phoenix and Lady Gaga, I think, is Harley Quinn. I think is what what they're saying about um, Joker Foleadu. I think that I'm saying that right. So, uh, yeah, Todd Phillips, Joker. Yeah, it's a good one. It's not one I thought of, but uh, I mean, I love that we have like no overlap. This is I know this is this great. Is <laughs> this is the best way to do it. All right, Todd, number one. Uh, my number one is. A director who has made two superhero movies, a sci-fi movie based on his own TV show, and he also made this uh, black and white Shakespeare adaptation. It's Joss Whedon's Much Ado About Nothing, where it was all shot in, like, his house, I think, like, on off days of shooting, like, Age of Ultron, I think, I believe is how that went. Uh, It was, uh, I mean, it was the first Avengers, but yeah, I mean, basically all of his buddies and all the the character actors in his movies just all showed up and, like, he shot his Much Ado About Nothing adaptation in a modern-day setting in, like, his house and backyard. Uh, It still makes no sense. It's never going to make sense because I doubt that he's going to do anything like that again because he still is the sci-fi guy. Yeah. Joss Joss Whedon's Much Ado About Nothing. That's a that's a good one. That's a good one. Thanks. All right. It's, it's a good movie. Have you seen it? <laughs> I did watch it. I I I, I apparently gave it two and a half stars. I don't I don't remember much about it. It though. definitely feels like the kind of movie that was like made for Showtime in 1997. Like it feels like <laughs> a, a totally indulgent like director project that he was like a side hustle, maybe you know, uh, embezzling money from a project that he was getting paid a lot more for. It's a strange movie that I don't remember well, but I, I did see it, and uh, it's 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 an odd pick um, in his filmography for sure. That's probably why people went to it, though. Quite honestly, maybe the the self awareness was its biggest kind of a box office appeal. Probably. All right, Zach, number one. All right, my number one. It has to be the best number one. Uh, I wish we voted on these power rankings because I would win. Uh, Jackie Brown and Boogie Nights are way better than The Sweet Hereafter and Air Force One, by the way. And uh, my number one pick is a movie we've talked about. Uh, we we didn't deep dive it. We came to the stable on it because it was such a curious entry on this. Oh, director's... yeah. I, I have this as I, I like an almost unmentionable because it's so obvious. <laughs> are you well, uh, are you thinking about the Sailor Man Popeye like yes. I am? Because. <laughs> Robert Altman, why he made that movie, um, I believe he made it just to go on vacation to Malta. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's a strange movie. Um, I think we all liked it. It certainly inspired um, Shelley, Duvall, Shelley Duvall's singing career as, as seen later on in Punch Drunk Love. He needs me. Um, but uh, it's got to be the strangest um, movie maybe of all time. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> a Popeye pirate movie starring Robin Williams, uh, a live action adaptation of a forties cartoon by one of the most iconoclastic indie directors of all time coming off of one of the greatest 
you know, decades of all time of directing films like Three Women in Nashville and Thieves Like Us doing a kid's movie that wasn't really made for kids. Um, and it, strangely enough, kind of feels like an Altman movie at times. So maybe it's not a great number one, but it's a perfect number one. I don't know how there could be another number one, except for maybe Roman Polanski's Pirates, which came out six years later, which I was also thinking about doing as like a double double bill number one. But uh, I think the Altman film's a little weirder. That's a good yeah. pick. I hadn't thought of that, but that is a really good pick. All right. My number one. Once I thought of it, I had to go with it as number one. But now looking at the filmography, I think I might have to do a tie with two different movies on this on this filmography. It's kind of a short filmography. But Tom McCarthy, the station agent, the visitor, win-win, spotlight, Stillwater, amazing dramas, talking about uh, just like amazing movies in general. And then there's The Cobbler. Mm-hmm. This this kind of fantastical Adam Sandler comedy about a guy who makes shoes and can transform into anybody who's in them. Like what the hell? Like, I remember when the cowboy came out, I was like, it's Tom McCarthy. He's gold. He hasn't made a bad beat and this is going to be an amazing movie. And I watched it like, what the hell is this? I actually don't mind the cobbler that much. Then I looked at his filmography and, and he followed up his best picture win in, um, of Spotlight with a straight-to-Disney Plus movie called Timmy Failure Mistakes Were Made, which is a PG movie about a kid detective with an imaginary polar bear friend who follows him around the neighborhood. Come, come to the stable. Seriously, what the hell? So I was going to go with The Cobbler, but I think I have to go with the tie of The Cobbler and Timmy Failure Mistakes Were Made. Uh, because... This guy is either making one of the best films of the whatever year it is, or he's making something insanely random kid-friendly that is just goofy and random. Like, the cobbler is just goofy and doesn't fit. I, I think I would have liked it more if I hadn't been gone into it saying it's a Tom McCarthy movie. Well, I so. think Sandler ruined two directors' track records at that same time because he had that Men, Women, and Children movie, uh, Jason Reitman's movie, that was awful, too. Oh, yeah. And uh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> the Cobbler. I, I didn't think about that, but that is that is an inspired pick. He even directed two episodes of 13 Reasons Why, which I know you love, Todd. Yeah, I knew that. I, I'd seen his name on the credits. Yeah. All right. Well, let's count this down five to one and do any honorable mentions. Todd? Number five, uh, Jim Sheridan's Get Rich or Die Tryin'. Number four, F. Gary Gray's Be Cool. Number three, Alexander Payne's Masterpiece, uh, Downsizing. Number two, Rev Wes Craven's Music of the Heart. And number one, Joss Whedon's Much Ado About Nothing. Zach? Uh, number five was Claude Berry's The Housekeeper. Number four, Todd Haynes' Dark Waters. Number three, Sam Mendes directing Away We Go. Number two, Sidney Lumet directing The Wiz. That's a that's a tr- Jeopardy trivia question if you ever heard that heard one. And number one, had with a bullet, Robert Altman for Popeye. Well, I didn't realize that The Wiz was written by Joel Schumacher. Like that was yes. and Rob Cohen was a producer. Let's get a bunch of white men to uh, make this movie. Wow. That's a great idea. 
All right, my list number five, Ang Lee's Sense and Sensibility. Number four, David Fincher's A Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Number three, Brad Bird's Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Number two, Todd Phillips' uh, Joker. And number one, Tom McCarthy's The Cobbler. And Timmy Failure, Mistakes Were Made. All right. (laughs) (laughs) That was a mistake, obviously. Mistakes were made. Uh, That's, I think that... I want to say the movie was just called Timmy Failure, and then afterwards it got the uh, the the little heading mistakes were made. Just the fact that that's a part of Tom McCarthy's filmography. All right, Todd, honorable mentions. Uh, so I did mention Popeye. Uh, I have Matchstick Men, Ridley Scott's wow. movie. Obviously, I mean it's nothing like his other movies. I have Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, written for Scorsese. Like the, that still doesn't really add up entirely. It's a great movie, but it just doesn't fit. Uh, I have Kenneth Branagh for Thor. Oh, I mean, yeah. he made it. A, he made it a Piranha movie, I guess. But I mean, that thing is not really in his wheelhouse. I have um, Cassandra's Dream written for Woody Allen, like that, like straight, <laughs> just like crime drama thing. I mean, it was awful, but I mean, it didn't add up. Uh, the score is obviously it's nothing like Frank Oz's movies. Uh, Andrew Davis, the director of The Fugitive, directed Holes. That whoa, that yeah, stands out that. pretty big. Um, Penny Marshall directed Awakenings. That obviously makes no sense. Michelle Gondry um, directed The Green Hornet, like Seth Rogen's uh, The Green Hornet. Yeah. Um, but didn't Howard, he also didn't he also direct Be Kind Rewind? I think so, but I mean that's yeah, still that's like. Nice. I mean, I guess. I mean, it, it's a comedy, but it's still it's just. Okay. Okay. Strange. Uh, Ron Howard directed the dilemma. I know he has a lot of different genres he touches, <laughs> but like of a G- Kevin James comedy, that never made sense. Jun Ho Bong uh, directed a Okja, which is like a weird family-friendly like elephant movie. Uh, hey, James, is it a pig. It's a pig. Okay. Yeah. Uh, James Gray directed Ad Astra. That's still it's never going to make sense. Uh, Eternals, uh, Chloe Zhao's movie, is never going to make sense. Matthew Weiner, the creator of The Sopranos, uh, he directed this really stupid comedy called Are You Here? And I think it starred Owen Wilson. I never, that never made sense. And the two that I wanted to mention, but I couldn't, because it was their first movies and they basically had nothing to do with the movie are David Fincher directing Alien 3 and uh, James Cameron getting fired off of Piranha 2. That's still, those are head scratchers. Those are, those are all good picks. Much better than my honorable mentions. Uh, Zach, what do you got? Okay, I so here's the thing um, about Chloe Zhao. I disqualified um, cash grabs. That to me was a cash grab. That's I, I think that does not count. Okay. Um, so that being said, Francis Ford Coppola directing Jack, which I didn't even realize until we were talking about his career in the '90s, has to be mentioned. Although again, you could say his career Peggy is, Sue. is pretty pretty scattered. Well, that's actually a good movie. I mean, well, I'm not, yeah, I'm not saying in terms of quality. I'm just saying like it's a similar sort of like. He also did the comedy. Outsiders in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Forrest Whitaker directed uh, Hope Floats and First Daughter. I think both, both of those qualify. I didn't <laughs> even know he directed movies, but um, Michael Abtid directing Coal Miner's Daughter. Michael Moore directing Canadian Bacon, although we know he likes Canada. John Woo directing Wind Talkers. Jerry Zucker directing Ghost. Clint Eastwood directing Jersey Boys. Um, Errol Morris uh, making the opening to the 2002 Academy Awards. Uh, 
Alfonso Cuaron for A Little Princess, David Mamet for Winslow Boy, and David Lynch for A Straight Story. Those kind of all both meshed together because those were both G-rated movies by decidedly non-G-rated directors. Jonathan Deming for Silence of the Lambs. I really thought about putting that number one, but in a strange way, that's the movie he's now best known for, even though it has it shares nothing in common with the rest of his movies. So it, it, it has a, a pretty severe asterisk next to it. Um, and then I also thought about uh, Donald Trump being president, Brett Favre on the 2008 New York Jets, and Todd picking Clerks 3 as his most anticipated movie <laughs> of 2022. <clears throat> Very awesome. nice. All right. Most are, uh, yeah, a lot of what I have here has been mentioned, but um, a couple I'll mention. Uh, Hugo for Martin Scorsese. Doesn't quite make sense. I felt like that one yeah. was kind of cheating. Uh, another one, The Lovely Bones for Peter Jackson. Coming well, off if you of... watch that movie, though, you can. it's, it's definitely a Peter True. Jackson movie. True, but coming off of Lord of the Rings and King Kong and all that, and then going into the Hobbit trilogy. Doing... Little heavenly creatures in there, I guess, but yeah, a little that's, bit. that's a good, that's a good call. Um, I also, I, I, I want to shout this out because this is one of the things I use. I found a, a list here from tasteofcinema.com that was the top 10 oddest directorial choices made by great directors. And I used a little bit of it. Like it had Jack from Francis Ford Coppola. It had Benjamin Button. A couple that hadn't been mentioned yet, uh, Noah from Darren Aronofsky. Mm. That's a good, that was a good one. But he made another big religious epic too. That's the problem. True, true. Um, let's see here. There were uh, Millions from Danny Boyle. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a good one. Uh, Hereafter from Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Uh, kind of a fantastical one. Happy Feet from George Miller. I think we've established George Miller can do whatever the hell he wants. Um. Yeah, though those were the ones that hadn't been mentioned quite yet. So I just wanted to shout that out. It was a good list. It's now time to try and guess what what is Adam going to do here? Todd, you're first. Give us the five to one. Okay, I have him saying number five, uh, Cherry, directed by the Russo brothers. Uh, number four, Hugo, directed by Martin Scorsese. Number three, Music of the Heart, Wes Craven. Number two, The Elephant Man. Directed by David Lynch and number one, 1941, directed by Spielberg. Oh, that's a good call. That's a good one too. I would have I would have put Tintin for Spielberg, but um, number five, number five, I have the Fairley Brothers directing Green Book. Not that we ever want to bring that up ever again. Number four, Spike Lee for Old Boy, which oh, uh, he a gave. That's one. a great one, and he gave it three and a half stars because he watched it first because he never saw he hadn't seen the first <laughs> one yet. Uh, number three, Damien Chazelle for First Man. Number two, Paul Thomas Anderson for Punch Drunk Love. As mentioned on Daily Notes, like like and subscribe. And uh, number one, uh, Martin Scorsese for Hugo. All right. Uh, my number five, uh, I, I have Steven Spielberg for the BFG. <laughs> I, 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 okay, I, so maybe he has done those kind of movies. I don't know. I know, I know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe just throwing out, uh, throwing out a Spielberg is kind of cheating but i i think that's a random one number four darren aronofsky for the wrestler i thought number three that. kenneth brana for thor number two ang lee for hulk and number one martin scorsese for hugo all right here better, we go marty better be on the list 
All right, so here we go. He says, this will be impossible to guess. Good luck, and may God have mercy on your souls. Um, Do you think he understood this list? Looking at this, yeah, he understood the list. Okay. Yeah. All right, honorable mentions. Uh, Martin Campbell for Green Lantern. Uh, John Singleton for Abduction. Okay, I don't know if he's understanding this list. (laughs) Josh Trank for Capone. David Fincher, well known directors. David Fincher for Panic Room. It didn't have to be un- well known. Ridley Scott for A Good Year, which actually fits better than yeah, that's, Big Men. That's a good one. And Spike Lee for NBA 2K16. Nice. <laughs> All right, not old num- boy. Not old boy. Number five, Francis Ford Coppola for Jack. When you think of Coppola, I hope you would think of The Godfather Saga or Apocalypse Now and not the lighthearted film with Robin Williams as Jack. While I'll always have a soft spot for Jack, it does stick out as an odd film in his filmography. Number four, James Cameron for True Lies. With a career filled with sci-fi movies like The Abyss and Terminator, creature films like Piranha 2 and Aliens, the big and big budget spectacle films like Titanic and Avatar. So this little spy thriller sticks out. Uh, number three, Edgar Wright. For the Sparks Brothers and Last Night in Soho. Edgar Wright's style is always plastered in his movies. Last Night in Soho plays uh, more like a horror movie. And while his style is there, you have to search for it. Also, have to mention the Sparks Brothers too. Being their one documentary they have made. Also, our most skilled disliked video on YouTube too. Our most disliked video on YouTube. Yeah. was who, who, Who trashed on Sparks Brothers? Was it Todd? Or was it Zach? Zach. Zach. On on daily notes or on whatever the iteration was of that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Number two, Sam Raimi for Oz the Great and Powerful. That's a good one. Known for his horror movies and superhero flicks, this Wizard of Oz prequel sticks out like a sore thumb. While not horrible, it's not great either. More visual than anything of substance. And number one, Clint Eastwood for Jersey Boys. I honestly forgot he directed this movie. When I took a look at his filmography, it sticks out to me as a film that doesn't have his style or stamp to it. Compared to the other films he's directed, this is one of the weirder projects he has done. Well, I got zero. I don't think any of us got anything. Well, I think I win for a couple reasons. Number one, (laughs) I had the best 1997 best picture list. But number two, I I mentioned Jack... And I mentioned Spike Lee, and I mentioned. Uh, but I mentioned Boys. Coppola. What did you say for Coppola, Todd? Well, no, I mean I originally mentioned Coppola. I don't think we ever have been talking about Jack. If, if I, I think I think right Zach member. I think Zach wins because he had he predicted he would have Spike Lee, and Spike oh, Lee was in his honorable. That mentions. is true. That is some, some sort of connection. That is the closest we had, and he was the only one that mentioned Clint Eastwood for Jersey Boys. But I know, Todd, you kind of discounted that one completely because you had it on the last list. That was kind of similar. Similar, yeah. All right, so Zach gets the point. What do we got, Todd? Uh, Zach moves up to 27, Terry is at 25, and I'm at 43. All right. Let's move on into our trivia segment. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. Oh, I forgot about this. John Boyd is a slap in the face. This is going downhill quick. Trivia. 
Todd won last time, so Zach and I have some stuff to report on. Uh, Todd, which one of us do you want to go first? Uh, I mean, Zach won, so I guess we'll start with Zach. Okay. Zach, what did you have to watch? So I watched 127 Hours, a movie that was nominated for... Uh, You've never seen 127 Awards. Hours? I've never That's seen 126, or 127 Hours. <laughs> Todd, do you want to tell the story about how this came up? Because this was a, a very interesting story. Uh, well, I, I had a trivia question, and I don't remember the details of it now. It was Wait, it was people who have... Hosted the hosted Oscars, the Oscars in, in the year that they died in one oh, of the best right. picture nominated or one of the movies that was that nominated. That's right. I remember, Todd told me about this. You know, and yeah. Zach, Zach said 127 hours. And I was like, you see, I mean, that was, a, you seen that was movie. a great guess because he had hosted the Oscars that that year he was nominated. And <laughs> but he doesn't die in the movie. And obviously, you hadn't seen the movie. So <laughs> that that's... was my tell. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't, fa- couldn't, fool, uh, couldn't fool you on that one. <laughs> Uh, well, anyway, uh, one hundred uh, and who who are the answers? It was it was it was it was strange answers, right? I thought I, Neil I, Patrick Harris. That's right. Oh, for and, Gone Girl, Spoiler and then alert. Robert Shaw, right? Yeah, Robert Shaw in nineteen seventy-five, who hosted with like six six other people. <laughs> yeah, because you know he was a host of the Oscars. Shout out yeah, to Hot Ones for the for the heads up on that question. <laughs> That was a great question, and as, as I texted Todd, it was one of my first days back, and I had training all day, and it was a wonderful <laughs> distraction from training. It was fantastic. It was like three hours of you know just great entertainment. Anyway, 127 hours. It felt like 127 hours that day. Um, is uh, the uh, uh, follow-up to uh, Danny Boyle's Oscar-winning movie, uh, Slumdog Millionaire. Um, I, I'm not a fan of Danny Boyle. I think that's part of why I did not see it. Um, I'm also not really a fan of James Franco, although more so for his shenanigans post this movie. Um, I'm wondering, you know, I don't like James Franco because he opened up an acting school just to hit on, you know, uh, younger women. And I'm sure he showed them clips from this movie and as examples of method acting and got a, got some of their numbers, I'm sure, which is not cool. And, and you know, there's, an, there's a sort of a skeevy subplot in this movie where he hits on Kate Mara and uh, uh, Amber Tamblyn in the first 10 minutes and that certainly doesn't sit well now in 2022. Um, and uh, I, you know, I was not into the first 15 minutes of this movie because it was just that hyperkinetic bullshit, Danny Boyle, you know, just dumb stuff, the split screen stuff and the sped up footage. And it was like, come on, I, I, this is why I don't watch Danny Boyle movies. I'm glad I stuck with it though. I'm glad the movie was only an hour and a half, I believe, uh, because the rest of it was actually pretty good. I'm a sucker for movies where, you know, people are uh, stuck in a place or, you know, a castaway type situation. And in this movie, of course, James Franco plays Aaron Walston, who's uh, a pretty irresponsible guy. He goes off in the middle of uh, the the desert, basically. Um, And unlike Jerry, he doesn't get stuck on a rock, but a rock does get lodged in between um, his arm and this cave dwelling. Um, It's a really random accident. Um, And it kind of makes me think like, if I had been in that situation, I think I would have just been so mad at myself that that's what would have caused my death or the struggle. Not the not the physical pain, but the fact that it was such a stupid, random accident. 
Um, it, it had to be million to one, million to one, Doc, like the silly Jerry. Anyway, um, this is a good movie. I, I enjoyed it. It's kind of painful to watch. It's pretty bloody at the end, if you know what happens to Aaron Ralston. Uh, it gets a little bit uh, hallucinogenic at the end. It kind of turns into Requiem for a Dream at times because there's some applauding that happens, and he's like randomly on a TV show because he's filming himself with one of those mini DV cameras from the early 2000s. I'm not sure how that battery lasts as long as it does. Maybe a bit unrealistic over the course of the movie. He's just a jerk in the movie in a way because who goes out to the wilderness and to the desert? It's the same problem I have with uh, Todd's other favorite movie, Into the Wild. These guys just go out into the woods and into the forests and they don't tell anyone. And as a result, you know, they get these search parties and people that have to look for them. And it's pretty, pretty uncaring un to family members and loved ones. Um, in the case of Aaron Ralston, though, uh, he did. Uh, it was only 127 hours. I don't I, did they even send out a search party for him. The movie doesn't really go into it. I enjoyed it. Three stars. I don't think I love it as much as you guys do. According to our website, it was, I think, on your top 10 list, Terry. I don't yeah. really know why. I think it just got Oscar nominations because it, it was marketed in the right way and it was a follow-up to an Oscar movie. But it's a pretty solid movie. It's basically the same movie as Buried, although Buried, I think, is a little bit more interesting. Yeah, I kind of like Buried a little bit more, too. I mean, I, I haven't seen this movie since it came out, but I, I do remember really liking it. And I, I knew that it'd be the kind of thing you would like. You like people that are out in the elements, you know, having to survive with basically nothing. Yeah. So I'm glad that you at least... Uh, Look past James Franco and then saw a good movie in it. Yeah, I I, I love this movie. It, it's it's riveting and just the survival story of of that. And it's one of those where you couldn't tell the story unless it was true. And uh, otherwise, you'd say that you're you're insane. And there's something to that that idea that it's based on a true story that adds a, an element of intrigue to it that this actually happened that uh, that's pretty, pretty amazing. And, and James Franco gives a performance here that, I mean, it's one of those where it's hard to give a great performance when you're the only one on screen for most of the movie. I mean, it's like, it's Tom Hanks castaway. It's Will Smith and I am legend. I mean, it belongs right there with that in that it's just him and he keeps the movie going and he keeps the moving. Uh, he keeps the movie riveting and, and brilliant. So, yeah, I, love it. I, I don't know if you guys remember the 2010 Oscars, but, you know, he hosted it. And then when they did the Best yeah. Actor Award, they cut to him backstage giving his stupid doofus smile that really is a Robert Forrester. I'm going to punch you right now type smile. <laughs> One of the great punch. It was a very punchable clip. face. Yeah. And I just remember that was such a, sh a shit show ceremony. I mean, that was a bottom three ceremony for me. And I remember thinking they're just going to give it to him. Right. I mean, th this whole ceremony is just a crock of shit. They're not going to give it to Fincher. They're going to give it to this stupid, you know, bullshit Miramax movie. Come on. They're just going to give it to James Franco. It's going to happen. It didn't happen. But you you wonder how a guy can give that good of a performance and be, be that bad at hosting. It's kind of like, you know, who is it? Was it Sandra Bullock that won an Oscar and a Razzie the same year? Like, it's kind of the same thing going on there. Yeah. Well, like Terry said, like it, like the movie is just James Franco by himself and then the ho he had to host with somebody else and maybe if he was by himself maybe he would have been better he wouldn't have gone out there and drag and all the other garbage that he did i really wanted some seth rogan in his hallucinations i i really wanted hey kids let's puff the magic dragon <laughs> that did not happen in his hallucinations i would have given this movie a, a half star higher had seth rogan showed up he should have at least been a guest on his uh on his talk show yeah, on the I boulder mean, exactly <laughs> 
I, I think I remember that uh, the trailer more than the movie, though. I, I haven't seen the movie in quite a while, but the, I, I saw that trailer over and over and over again. Oops. Oops. I mean, that, that trailer. trailers a lot. Is... The trailer for 127 yeah, I have, I have, hours. I have no recollection oh. of the trailer. I oh, do have man, the recollection trailer. of the trailer for, from uh, a Pineapple Express where he hitchhikes putting his thumb through the zipper in his pants. And Seth Rogen says, yeah, we're not going to get picked up for that. <laughs> That's right. I want to say the trailer, the trailer featured Coldplay. Didn't it feature a Coldplay oh, song? That sounds, that sounds exactly like it. By the way, how did we not mention David Gordon Green on our power rankings? I thought he was going to come up, but yeah. he's done enough weird stuff. I mean, like the exactly. suitor, yes, but he, I mean, that is basically another stoner comedy, right? He, he, he's more yeah, known for stoner he comedy does, now, or whenever horror. Whenever he stuff. does does something off the wall, he doubles down on it, so there's nothing that stands out. All right. Well, at, at least you, you liked watch, it. Uh, so what I watched, uh, Todd, as he uh, as he texted me, uh, screw it, I'm just gonna assign you my cousin Vinny. And uh, you've never so seen my cousin Vinny. I'd never you're, seen my cousin. You're shitting Vinny. on me for not seeing 127 this is hours. Why I wanted to deep dive what it, but Terry's like, I've never seen it. it's on my shelf. <laughs> yeah, so I pulled it off my shelf and I watched it. Um, and yeah, we I, I think we should still deep dive it because this this movie's brilliant. It's amazing. It's you've so seen, much fun. You've seen Lagan and Indochine, but not My Cousin Vinny. It, and, and the funny thing is, and I was telling Todd about this, so I have my list of all my Oscar movies I watch for the year. Um, because I had seen so few from 2012 and 2002, this actually just missed my list of the 52 movies I was going to watch this year that were celebrating anniversaries. We could so, have beat um, this shit. It's another Ralph Macchio movie. movie for you this week too, Terry. It is another Ralph Macchio <laughs> movie. Uh, yeah. So Joe Pesci, Joe Pesci, Marissa Tomei. Uh, I I love the the tagline on the movie poster. There have been many courtroom dramas that have glorified the great American legal system. This is not one of them. Uh, it's it's a it's it's great. No, it, it's it's goofy, but it's very it's very '90s, and it was. It was exactly what I wanted it to be. As you have uh, cousin Vinny, Joe Pesci defending Ralph Macchio and Mitchell Whitfield, who I saw and I'm like, I know this guy. Why do I know this guy? And for two things, first, I'd seen him in Reversal of Fortune when I watched it a year or two ago. And then second, he's Barry the Dentist in Friends. So, um, the yeah, uh, Rachel's ex. It's like, oh, that makes so much more sense. Awesome. Um, but yeah, Marissa Tomei is great in this. I I have no idea how she was nominated, let alone won. I I like I was trying to explain what this was like to my wife because she watched this with me. I'm like, this the best thing I could come up with is this would be like if somehow Margot Robbie got nominated for Suicide Squad and then won. Like, it's not a movie that's going to be recognized by the Oscars in any way, but you have the star-turning performance by a supporting actress in it that you, you, need, to, you need to recognize. And the only thing I can think of of how she won is everything that was nominated that year was, like, old, bland, vanilla performances British. by... by Yeah, it was... 
it was it was kind of ridiculous all the people that that she was up against and then you had but well let's see here it was Miranda Richardson for damage Joan Plowright for Enchanted Enchanted April April. Vanessa Redgrave for Howard's End and Judy Davis for Husbands and Wives nothing in that says oh yeah this is something that that is memorable and then you had this breath of fresh air supporting girl I guess would be the closest thing right right then you had this breath of fresh air Marissa Tomei coming in with this with this hard Brit uh, Brooklyn accent and just dominating the screen every time she was on it. Um, well, you're making the case why she won. I know. I, I, I had to, I had to try and justify how she how she figured this out, how she how she ended up with the Oscar. But uh, no, the movie's great. I'm I'm not saying much about it in case we do want to deep dive it because uh, yeah, uh, one thing I will say is. Um, uh, Nobel Prize uh, giver Austin Pendleton has has a hell of a stutter. <laughs> um, and then and then Bruce McGill is in it. He he. As soon as he popped up, my wife is. was like, "I feel like he's in he's that random face in everything." I said, "That's because yep. he is." Well, no, isn't the the other guy the isn't the guy in Hoosiers in it? Is that the other lawyer? No, he's not. No, Lane no. Smith is the other lawyer who Lane is perfect Smith. at playing. I think this was the same year like the Mighty Ducks came out where he played this exact same role of being the, the douche <laughs> on it. the other side. Yeah. So uh, the judge was not played by David Strathern in a suit, by the way. No, kindly not. Old Southern judge. It's <laughs> played by Fred Munster, but not um, too far off. Great, great supporting performances by uh, by Doctor Bob MD. Um, oh, nice! After after talking about his son in in the last segment, uh, James Rebhorn, and and uh, and Deke Slayton himself, Chris Ellis, as the man who doesn't have two hundred dollars. Um, yeah. Well, that's why he takes all those kickbacks for himself, right, Deke? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> he might be able to answer your question better than I. Um, yeah. So. Uh, it, three and a half stars it was it was so much fun it was awesome um and uh yeah chances of us uh of us deep diving this this year i'd give it three to one <laughs> yeah i mean I, I love my cousin Vinny. it's i think it's in my top 10 of that year i've seen it a lot but it's one of those movies that's always on like it is the always string on. of channels tnt a and e amc it's on like all these channels it, like as much always... as a few good men it always seems to be the scene with Marissa Tomei on the stand. That's always the scene that is on, I think. It's a, it's a great scene. Yeah, I hardly ever see the beginning of this movie, but it I is sort of a happens. key scene to understand it. <laughs> I'm not really sure what the trial is about. Something involving cars, obviously. How I think this movie also got a second life because of uh, Coach Bill Belichick. I mean, how many people were familiar with this movie before... I'm not an expert on deflated balls like Mona Lisa Vito is an expert on <laughs> automobiles in the area. Uh, that, yeah, that, that's great. <laughs> I didn't even put that together. Now, the, the funny thing goes, so we watched this movie and I asked my wife, I said, okay, this movie won an Oscar. What do you think it won for? And the first thing out of her mouth was costumes. Because she's like, Marissa Tomei is in a different outfit every time she's on screen. And all of them are brilliant. <laughs> good call. And, and I'm like, nope, nope, not that. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
it was fun. It's a great movie. Great movie. I, I feel like the this days is... when a comedy like that can actually win an Oscar. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like this is one that if I'd seen it in the mid nineties, it would hold some sort of like amazing nostalgia for me, like a league of their own or something else or a few good men, something else that came out in that, that time. And it might get there for me eventually, but uh, yeah, right now three and a half stars. It's a, it's a great movie. I'm glad that you saw the the greatness in it. And yeah, we should still deep dive it. Nah, tell them three to one. <laughs> three to one. <laughs> All right, Todd, what are we doing for trivia? Uh, that was the Apollo 13 quote, by the way, from Deke Slate, in case you were wondering. Gotcha. Um, Maybe well, that should I mean, be I... my fantasy football team name this year. Tell them three to one. My fantasy football team's name is going to be Today. Like you mean the Today? <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Todd. Um, so, I mean, I sort of have two categories. I really have one category. I just wanted to mention another part of it. So, we'll go with that. On the, on the other one, on the smaller one, I will give three points if you can get any of these right. Um, Whoa, okay. So uh, we we found out last week that my number 69 was Donnie Brasco, my top 100. I want to know if you guys know what anybody else's number 69 are. (sighs) Wow. So you're getting three points if you get any of these right. But if you look at the movies, you can definitely tell whose list it is. (laughs) (laughs) So if that helps you at all. Oh. I don't know how we're doing this. I guess. <laughs> um, we'll start with Adam and I guess both write down an answer. And <laughs> oh, okay. okay right that's how we're going to do. So Adam. Well, that's what I mean for this one. Because the, the other category, that wouldn't work. Adam's number 69. All right. What do you guys got? Hold on one sec. I'm writing it down. Zach says the Ten Commandments. And Terry says Night of the Living Dead. No, I mean, those are as far off as you can possibly get. Right. <laughs> Adam's number 69 was Die Hard. Oh. Nice. This is an enjoyable exercise. Uh, okay, we'll go with we'll go with Terry next. Does Terry know his own list? God. Does Zach know? <laughs> I know some. I know some of them, but I don't... I mean, I would have never known that Donnie Brasco is my number 69. <laughs> All right. What are we saying? Zach says, we bought a zoo. <laughs> I don't think that was on the list. Terry says, a few good men. Uh, Terry had the right decade. It was uh, before sunrise. Wow. Nope. Never. I remember number <laughs> 60 was Promising Young Woman. And you guys give me shit for it. <laughs> number 60, huh? Yeah. Yeah, that still, that still doesn't In hindsight, up. probably way too high. I still haven't watched it again that yet. That would be on our power rankings of this week of Terry's top 100. Yeah. Um, so Zach's number 69. Zach might actually know this. He knows this list pretty well. Yeah. I fell in the Zach says clueless. Terry's not gonna say clueless. I'm not. Is that is that what it is? No. Oh, okay. Um, I mean Terry's not gonna remember this movie either. We'll just move um, on to the next one. It is uh Rachel getting married. Oh no, never really? was gonna say that. Wow, I wouldn't even know that was on my top 100. <laughs> Is it that good of a movie? I, that's one of those I've only gotten through the first hour of. I don't know what happens after Deborah. <laughs> 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 
How does it end? Do they get married? I, I get through it to the like the rehearsal scene. <laughs> you watched it all the way through at least once, right? I think so. <laughs> and then and then your dad loves it so much that you're just like, yeah, yeah my dad did love it. It was Bob's number one of that year for sure. <laughs> okay. I haven't laughed that hard since I was a little girl. Thank you. You get to when they're washing the dishes and you're like, all right, I'm good. Um, yeah, I don't even think I get that far, quite honestly. <laughs> all right. Well, this is going to be a straight uh, filmography trivia. Uh, Tilda Swinton is the actress that we're looking at. She has 66 movies, not including 3,000 Years of Longing or uh, her documentary narrations, which I think there were like six or seven of. So I have a, I have a other list of 66 movies. Uh, this is going to be a test because there are some obvious ones and a lot of suck sort of series things that she's been in kind of, but. No. Oh God. Oh, she's also all over the place. Okay. I know. Yeah. I got some obscure shit here. This is, is going to be fun. Cause she's been, she's been uh, in a lot of obscure shit. Yeah. There's a lot of obscure shit. There's a lot of also things that you won't remember that she's in. Yeah. Or that she doesn't even look like herself. And you said we're not doing voice only? Uh, not her documentary narrations. Okay. So I guess if she's in an animated movie or something, that counts. Yes. Okay. Um, okay. Since uh, Terry was closer to getting something, I guess we'll start with Terry. <laughs> I'll go with her Oscar win and Michael Clayton. That is correct. I'll go with uh, 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 the movie I just mentioned, Julia. Julia, which, yeah, there are a million movies with that title, but yes, that is correct. <laughs> uh, Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange is correct. Moonrise Kingdom which was my voice question where she plays social services. Oh gosh. That is correct. Avengers Endgame. That is correct. Yikes. Okay. Um the war zone. The war zone is correct. I was wondering if you're going to say that one. Or if you're going to hold on to that one, because I know Terry wasn't going to remember it. Nope. Orlando. Damn it, Terry. That <laughs> that was one of my obscure ones. That's a good That's call. Correct. That's nicely done. That was the done. first one I wrote down, actually. I was going to forget it if I didn't write it down right away. Can we come to stable that shit? She <laughs> plays a man who lives like 500 years. I mean, we need to we need to watch that. Uh, we need to talk about Kevin. Uh, that is correct. I am love. Oh, yes, I am love is correct. That's a good one. Jeez. I saw that in the theaters at Fox Tower when it came out. Okay. Um, curious case of Benjamin Button. Correct. Whoa, I forgot she was in that. The souvenir? That's correct. Yeah. She was in the souvenir? Who was she in that? Was she like the second lead? I, <laughs> I think. Okay. Uh, train wreck. 
There we go. That's correct. That's one where she looks nothing like herself. Yeah, that was that was quite a performance. The souvenir part two. That's correct. Okay. Really? <laughs> Score is now seven to six. Uh, Zach's turn. Snowpiercer. That's correct. Uh, and out of what I wrote down, I'll just say that. Um. <clears throat> I mean, there are some like rabbit holes you guys could go down that you haven't touched yet. Yeah, probably. Five, four, three, two, one. Nope. Nope. Okay. Zach, can you win the game here? The deep end. The deep end. From 2001. That is correct. Wow. Okay. Now, there was no way I was going to win this. Uh, was she also in Isle of Dogs? That was going to be one of my guesses yeah. too, as a voice. And then I'm so embarrassed. What's the Coen Brothers movie with the the secret shit with Brad Pitt? I'm totally blanking. Oh, Burn After Reading. Burn After Reading. Yeah. Crap. That was the one. Yeah. I was, I, like I could see a picture of her in my head, and from something, and it was Burn After Reading. I don't remember what it was. Aussie. She's very angry in that movie. Okay, so recently, obviously, she had uh, more of Wes Anderson, The French Dispatch. She the last year she had Memoria. Yeah, Memoria. She was in The Personal History of David Copperfield, Uncut Gems, of course. Oh God! Wow, how did we miss that? You missed all of Jim Jarmusch's movies, like seven or eight of them, like The Dead Don't Die and Only Lovers Left Alive, and all that shit. Uh, She was in Okja, War Machine, Grand Budapest Hotel. The, yeah, the Wes Anderson, the Narnia are... movies. Oh gosh! <laughs> um, Broken Flowers, Constantine, Young Adam, Vanilla Sky. Vanilla Sky. I don't remember her in that. I don't really either. She like her first like twenty movies I have never heard of, except for Orlando. The Deep End's a pretty good one. That's that's one that does not get remembered at all. But she was good in that. Narnia. Gosh, yep. dang it. Three, three of them. Yeah, three of them. White Witch. She was good in that role, too. Oh, an adaptation, I guess she was in. I don't remember. Oh, either. yeah, yeah. Well, Zach wins eight to seven. I gave a valiant effort, though. That was that. The Orlando was impressive. I am love. <laughs> and I, I love. Both of those were pretty good. Those are classic <laughs> Tilda Swinton movies. <laughs> I remember seeing it. I remember nothing about I Am Love, but I I, I saw it in the theaters. I did. Was All she right. The, what about the one with um? Was she in the one with Dakota Johnson? Um, uh, a new a bigger splash. Was she in that as well? Yeah. Okay. I, 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 I would have gotten that at some point. All right. All right. Well, Zach obviously won. He will host trivia next time. The next regular episode. It's just going to be all Zach. Well, and he, you you picked the deep dive for next week too, so I love it. Next two weeks are uh, more of this. I are say. all Zach? All right. It's because of Aguafria, I'm sure. That must have been it. No, <laughs> I there, there was no way. If, uh... There was no way I was coming up with half the crap you just said. Well, um, see, but I, I, if you had come up with a couple of those rabbit holes, you would have. Yeah. You would have gotten, if I, if got... I had started going down Wes Anderson or you got the uh, Doctor Strange Narnia. ones, yeah. And those were the only Marvel movies she was in, right? Doctor Strange and Endgame. Correct. Yeah. As the ancient one. All right. 
Quote of the daytime. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it. Quote of the day. Zach, you won. You're up. So uh, there's a good story this week about how Quentin Tarantino is not a fan of uh, Francois Truffaut. Um, and he, uh, the, the kind of attention-grabbing headline from IndieWire um, says that Quentin Tarantino calls Truffaut a passionate, bumbling amateur, which we could call ourselves. That's not the quote that I want to go with, though. The <laughs> quote is actually from his novelization of Once Upon a Time in America, when Cliff Hollywood. is talking about why he doesn't like Francois Hollywood. Truffaut. Hollywood, oh, not America. Oh, what, oh, okay, not the Ennio Morricone, or the Sergio Leone movie. Even though uh, Rick Dalton might have gone to star in Sergio Leone movies. This podcast has been going on too long. Let me just say my quote. Uh, <laughs> the first film, The 400 Blows, left him cold. He didn't really understand why that little boy did half the shit he did. And he thought the mopey dopes and Jules and Jim were a fucking drag. And that's the way I feel about this podcast. <laughs> well done. Well Rousing done. endorsement. All right. I'll go next. Uh, my quote is from The Cobbler. Uh and uh, it, it says, uh, it's a privilege to walk in another man's shoes, Max, but it's also a responsibility. Yeah. The Academy tells, Award winning screenwriter. Tells you everything you need to know about the movie. Was Tilda Swinton man. in that too? No, I don't think so. I, I don't been. know. She could have been. Maybe she was playing one of the shoes. I don't know. Yeah, one of the boys. <laughs> another one where she doesn't look like herself, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um so my quote comes from Downsizing. It oh, is God. done by Drunk Guy at Bar, played by Gary at the Hitching Post. And uh, <laughs> he says, can I get a normal size beer for a normal size guy? And yeah. That's a great Regal quote from that movie. <laughs> Cheers to that. We'll, we'll bring a podcast to a close on that. That's perfect. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back at you. Next week with another episode. Until then, have fun watching movies and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your cross behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.